coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to Buzzed On Movies. I'm Teddy. And I'm Matt. And we're here once again in quarantine, once again covering the Halloween series. This week, we're going to be focusing on the two Rob Zombie films, Halloween 2007 and Halloween 2 2009. Woohoo! I'm excited. Yeah, very excited about these ones. Longtime fan of Rob Zombie. When I first heard that he was going to remake the classic Halloween, I was extremely into it. And I think he delivered some pretty interesting movies that while they don't really fit the same tone of the rest of the series, they're really interesting and very original. They're super interesting. Super. Original. I mean, yes, they are. They are. Um, But interesting is what I would like to focus on. (laughs) They are definitely that. Um, so yeah, we're uh, if you're not familiar with Rob Zombie or Robert Bartley Cummings, as he is oh, also known. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, he is a heavy metal musician uh, who originally fronted the band White Zombie in the '80s and has been doing a fairly successful solo act since the dissolution of that band. Um, he also has a a very idiosyncratic film career that uh has wow all right yeah welcome to new york um (laughs) um uh, that has gotten him some very hardcore fans and some uh very disapproving critics yes he is mostly critically not well received let's you know and that's fine they're wrong (laughs) i think i think zombie should be um should be lauded as an auteur in the same way that many other great directors are um he's got his own style he you always know when you're watching a rob zombie movie it's like and if you're into what he the kind of stuff that he does like he delivers every single time uh 32 (laughs) or 31 or whatever 31 was was. a bit of a mixed bag but that was not good there were still some good parts in there. Yeah. Um, he, he's really interesting, though. Uh, I loved House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, Great movie. Great we've movie. talked about um, the recent um, Devil's Rejects installment. What was that called again? Three the, from Hell. Yeah, Three from Hell. We talked about that. You've really talked about that. I've, I've talked, talked about that. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> there are people biking in full ninja. Sorry. They have like. Okay. Anyway, okay, we can edit that out. They just is, were biking. They had full ninja masks and covering like robes is, on. Is New York turning into Mad Max <laughs> over there? Because I'm actually I, not convinced it's not. So. I, that's not the first place I would have expected to go full <laughs> Mad Max, but uh, like I'm here for it. Yeah, we are like the wor- you know we're like having the worst time, but um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Gotta, yeah. So um. Three from Hell, yeah. We, so we've talked about that. I mean, and Devil's Rejects is amazing. Um, and I think that's actually the most like widely held opinion on Rob Zombie's work, right? Like basically everybody agrees the Devil's Rejects is very good. Even if the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is what it is. I don't know anybody now who's a horror fan who you meet who doesn't love that movie. 
basically think, everybody loves that i think horror fans definitely uh they're still like kind of mixed on his work as a whole but definitely they like uh devil's rejects especially yeah, yeah. it's a very interesting movie and um i think we kind of see a bit of the same thing in these two movies wherein he makes a sequel to the film that sort of takes it in a different interesting unusual direction that probably nobody would have predicted but here we are it's cool oh yeah halloween 2 is a very strange left field <laughs> um so it's a, it's a that's gonna be a fun one to discuss when we get to the sequel um, so why don't we start off uh discussing halloween the 2007 film uh we're gonna put a 40 minute limit on this one we're trying to i'm sure we're gonna have a lot to say but we're trying to power through these uh so let's go uh right. so <laughs> this movie starts off in a very uh surprising departure i'd say from the original halloween in that we actually get to see a lot of michael myers backstory that um it's not really covered very much at all in the original films we get to see him you know murder his sister on halloween night but we don't see much of his family life or like what might have driven him to do that but uh, here we're given like a whole whole look into everything that's going on in his life, and it is rough. It's not good. He has a rough go. So I, I mean, it's not like groundbreaking to say that this movie gives more insight into his backstory and like puts more focus on like background. I, that's like the whole thing about the movie. Um, yeah. It, but like, it is really interesting even now. But like, thirteen years removed. Um the way that Rob Zombie chooses to like lay out that backstory. Um, Michael has a rough home life. Just like a really, I mean, and it's kind of complicated because he has a mom who seems to really love him. Um, right. His mom is played by Sherry Moon <laughs> zombie to yes. be clear. I know that Z- Sherry Moon might not mean anything to listeners. Um, to me, it's like, Oh yes, that's enough. Um, <laughs> Rob Zombie's wife, who's in all yeah. of his films, every single one. Um, and she is often playing a certain type of character. Um, <laughs> but in this movie, she is actually a slight departure from some of her character archetypes. Um, I mean, she's still like a stripper or whatever. Um, yeah. And you know, that's just like what he likes to do with his wife's characters. Um, I, you know, I do believe they seem to be in a very like, you know, good marriage. I, I do believe that she enjoys these characters too. Um, yeah. In, in um, the commentary for one of the deleted scenes, he mentioned that the filming, the stripping scenes was kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> Oh, well, at least he, I'm glad, actually. That's actually kind of comforting because um, it's kind of weird that, you know, you were like, let me make my wife this, you know, stripper. And, and like just the characters he's always giving his wife. It's yeah. always kind of a little like mm, she's always slightly a sex pot stripper type character. And this one, though, she's not like like deranged or anything. So, you know, yeah, um, that's a step up from some of the other ones, but yeah. And anyway. she's like a very devoted mother as well. Which she's is a, like the most important part of her character. So she's a great mother. I, there's a lot of questions about why she's staying with her new boyfriend, man. Um, or is that even her husband? I don't really know. Are they like actually married? I, um, I get the feeling that it's like her second husband. That that's what, like, yeah. Cause he very much has like a stepfather type role towards Michael. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, so he's got uh, his mother who loves him, but she's a stripper and she's not always there. And he's got a stepfather who just like absolutely hates him, like makes fun of his long hair, makes fun of the fact that he doesn't talk much and stuff. Does he, do? he like calls him a queer or something? At some yes. Point? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of homophobia coming from the stepfather yeah. in these scenes. Towards um, Michael of all people who is like, <laughs> it's just crazy to think about Michael Myers as somebody even being like a remotely sexual being um yeah like <laughs> we've discussed that before yeah. he does not seem to have many many of those urges himself um but yeah so it's all kind of shown like his whole family life is kind of shown in this scene around the breakfast table early on uh where you could just see like how big of a piece of shit his stepfather is being and they're like him and uh the mother are fighting at one point he says this great line that i had to write down it uh, i will crawl over there and i will skull fuck the shit out of you and i, I heard that and i was just like oh we're off to a great start <laughs> yeah like that whole scene just has has some real real great line writing and that is like right off the bat shows you what a different kind of movie this is uh the dialogue in this is just crazy. It's the typical Rob Zombie dialogue. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of profanity. There's a lot of just high strangeness in here. Um, it's really good. Yeah, I absolutely love the dialogue in both of these movies. Really, um, I I love that it's like Rob Zombie's typical like vulgarity. Um, you know, like people are talking about like sex a lot in like really gross perverse ways that are not like it's not sexy like ever no. even when people are having sex in this movie it's like not sexy it's, it's just like, like just filthy awful. always yeah everything is filthy his entire aesthetic is like i don't think rob zombie knows what like minimalism means and <laughs> i love him for that um like he just never does that and i think we see a little bit more of that in the sequel but in this one we see it too like like every like the shots are often crowded there's a lot of that um people crowd their spaces. Like people love to like line their bedrooms with like a million bazillion posters. And so what I love about that is like, it's such a, like the original Halloween, even though it, it it's so fun. It holds such a funny place in horror canon because it's like the original slasher, which slashers are like the low brow genre of horror. Like, um, but it's also like the original slasher. So it's like really highly regarded and it's like a respectable film and everybody loves it. It's film with a capital F and a TM afterwards. Um, but Rob Zombie's like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> and makes it like this, like he like brings his filth into it. And I think it like, it's a really cool juxtaposition. And also is like calling out like a lot of like film canon just by doing it. Right. Yeah. He, he's kind of bringing it back to the roots. It was like, you know what? If you want to see some like really violent murders, you want to see sex and stuff. You're going to get all that from watching this movie. Like this is a slasher with a capital S. Yes. Um, so also early on in this scene, we're shown um, some uh, hints of what Michael is going to become. Uh, we see him in an early, like right as the movie is starting, he's playing with his pet rat. Uh, and uh, he, he kills that rat while he's wearing a clown mask. <laughs> yeah, Michael um, exhibits a very early, very prominent warning sign of sociopathy, but, like, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all good. This is, this is very normal. Like, and, like, his dad, I think, 
well, his stepdad like suspects that he's killing the rats, but rather than like being concerned about it, he's just sort of teasing him about it. He's like, oh, you got they're killing rats, aren't you? That's like the <laughs> biggest problem with the stepdad figure. He's like, it's like you're actually on to something about who Michael is, I think. Like you realize that he's like going to be pure evil very soon, but you like don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. And you make it worse. So that's great. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's not good it's really not uh, so there's a lot going on there uh, also he's not having a really good time at school we see him getting bullied at school um yeah he's like a, the, i mean i don't i do not victim blame but man you're a fucking weirdo this is what <laughs> i mean like <laughs> yeah well and, and part of it's not just about the way that he acts but he also gets teased for having a stripper for a mom because yes. some of the kids at school find like one of the newspaper ads uh and yeah. like carrying it around which i'm like where did a kid get a hold of this like okay this but is- the, the halloween franchise has a long rich history of kids teasing other kids in bizarre ways and finding a like a newspaper clipping is actually one of the more reasonable reasons kids have bullied another kid in this franchise. It's much better than she's an orphan. She's an orphan. So uh-huh, your parents died. Like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> so, yeah, um, so it, I, it's believable, certainly, um, but it's, it's pretty awful. Um, it, oh yeah. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. They're terrible little children. They're also like 11 years old, but. Yes, and also there's a lot of sexual references going on in, in those scenes as well with the 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 11 and 12 year old children just making sex jokes and stuff. I actually think that's uh, one of the more realistic depictions of like 11, 12 year old children in like the modern time. <laughs> like probably, that, probably, yeah, like there's a lot of them where it's like it'll be like 11 year olds who like never swear, never reference sex. It's like nah, that's like just like we didn't know what we were talking about, but we. We said it like <laughs> yeah it kind of feels like uh like that movie good boys that came out recently. yeah it's like, it like yep uh they're still just talking filth you know yep. that's, that's what they do so these kids who include uh daryl sabera of spy kids fame of course uh, <laughs> and, uh are making fun of him and um then at some point like as as he's walking home uh, Daryl Sabera is like harassing him and uh, Michael like kills him in the forest. Yes. With, like like beating him to death, like very violently and no, like it's not good, very, yeah. a very bloody scene. Um, and it's like, it's the first kill we see here. And it's interesting here that he kills someone before he kills anyone in his family. Um, and another thing is, I don't know if this murder is ever referenced again. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. So, like, did anyone ever find Daryl Sabera out in the forest? Um, or did he just sort of, like, rot away out there? I mean, somebody must have found him. He had family. But, like, well, I mean, that doesn't mean nobody found him. But somebody must have realized he went missing, right? Yeah, um, but when people are talking about the murders later, they're like, oh, Michael Myers, he killed his family. They're never like, oh, yeah, he also killed that weird red-haired kid in the forest, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it, they never mention it. Do you think that's not why he went to, like... I mean, that's not why he got put away. Like, I mean, maybe he got put away because they knew he did that. Um, Could be. Could be. Um, but yeah. 
you know, yeah, I don't, it's not referenced in a major way. You're absolutely right about that. It never really comes back up, but I do think you're right that it's interesting in bringing it up in the first place. Um, it distances the movie from some of like, like the original implications of Michael Myers killing his sister are very different because he just goes up there. She's like, had just had sex and sent her boyfriend off. She's topless and he just kills her. And it's, it very much, I mean, fed into that whole like trope of like, if you have sex, you die in a horror movie. Yeah. Um, this one by like immediate, like by removing Michael's initial motive from that, it does separate. Like, it's like, that's not what this is about anymore. You know, yeah. um, I think it creates a clear delineation from that sort of messaging of the original, um, which I don't necessarily think is the messaging of the original. We've talked about this, but right. like, yeah. it is like an, an unfortunate side effect that happened because of the original. So, you know, I do think that it was a smart choice on Rob Zombie's part to like make it about something else. It also going into the nature versus nurture argument. It's a strong argument for like nurture, but um, <laughs> that it's, that it's his bullies that he kills first that make him snap. Um, but you know, yeah. And I, I do, it, I do think you're right that it's, it, it sort of separates him from that motive and makes it more clear that it's like, no, it's not about that. It's that he's like a homicidal maniac. And also, like, he's got all these forces in his life that have been, like, uh, antagonizing him. And now he's lashing out. Um, yes. First at the bullies. Then he, you know, he comes home. This is Halloween night. Uh, he, like, duct tapes his drunk stepdad to the chair and then slices his throat, um, which is a very brutal scene. Um, it is, lots yeah. of blood every, Like, all the murders that take place in the Myers house are, like, extremely brutal. Yeah. Uh, very bloody, and uh, so he, he slices the throat of his stepdad. He beats his sister's boyfriend to death with a baseball bat in the kitchen. Uh, when he's down, like making a sandwich. About that, yeah. <laughs> just wanted a fucking sandwich. Yeah, he just he just had sex with the sister, and now he's like he just got hungry, so he's gonna make. I mean, been there, get it, but like. <laughs> It, that's actually one of the deleted scenes too where he like he's, he explains that he wants a sandwich <laughs> i'm like well i could see why that one got cut that we didn't really need that but okay um and then yeah he goes upstairs and murders his sister so first of all don't don't fear the reaper is playing in her bedroom while she's like when Michael Myers comes up and kills her yeah. and like, reference to the first movie and you know, just generally that's now become associated with slashers. <laughs> yeah. And and Michael like, like t is touching her. And at first she thinks it's the boyfriend. She's like, stop, what are you doing? And then she looks over and is like, Michael, what the fuck are you doing? And then he oh. starts stabbing her. And then she's like crawling down the hallway, trying to get away. That happens like a lot of times in this movie where somebody like gets stabbed a bunch of times and then starts like crawling away. And it's like, it never works. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> this is not a very effective plan, um, but okay. Oh yes, I, I love the scene of Sherry Moon Zombie stripping to the song Love Hurts. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, it just felt like that was what I was like. Here we are. We're in a Rob Zombie movie. This that is, is absolutely. Insane. We are in a Rob Zombie movie. Oh I, man, yeah, that was good. Actually, I really appreciate that. It was good. <laughs> like, there's a lot of cool music selection in this movie. Uh, he likes using like a lot of old pop songs. It's kind of like Tarantino in that regard. Uh, 
and yet love hurts is used very prominently here. And it's sort of, I guess, a theme running through this is like, yeah, love, like love and your family can cause a lot of damage. I, guess. I mean, must... and his family did. I mean, it's not his mom's fault. So really, is it love? I don't know, because like it's his step. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's like this really throws a wrench into the the fate nature nurture argument that the first one presented which i think is the whole point but it's like it's very hard to unpack <laughs> um so sherry moon comes home and finds that like michael's killed the whole family basically that that is like that is a crazy scene when like she comes home because then like everything gets really surreal all of a sudden like the cops show up and it's doing like all this really wild cutting. And there's this strange, like long pan shot that's in that, like, while well, everything is like frozen in time, but the camera is panning and shows Michael in the back of the police car. It's yes. like super dramatic, like very, very over the top, but really cool. But very dramatic. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is good, though. This is, I mean, I think the whole the whole sequence of Michael, like, murdering his family is really well done on the whole. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, like, every every murder that happens here, like, you're, like, feeling it. It's, like, like, the sound effects are, like, amped up. There's lots of blood everywhere. Like, every, there's never just, like, one or two stabs. It's always, like, ten stabs, and they're always, like, frenzied like really really emphasize though we so should like, we should temper our it's frenzied and it's 10 stabs until we get to halloween 2 when it's like it's 20 <laughs> stabs and it's like completely frantic um halloween 2 <laughs> is just like it's almost cartoonish the number of times that people get stabbed yeah it's like uh, you, you're like you're like hitting the floor at this point you just yeah. like there's nothing left to stab um but yeah it's it's you can see right from the start that like this is going to be a brutal, brutal movie. And it um, is. <laughs> yeah. And so um, then we get like sort of a montage of Michael going through therapy in prison with Dr. Loomis. And Dr. Loomis in this movie uh, played by um, played by Malcolm McDowell. Yes. Uh, which was great casting. Uh, yes. He shows up in a, in a few other rob zombie movie so i think this say, is he's, a, he's a regular collaborator now yeah uh he's really good he plays a very interesting dr loomis here um very different character in the two movies as well um and both are very different from the originals yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah i don't want to spoil anything about the the second movie is dr loomis until we get there because we'll have to talk about that at length but um <laughs> It, it he's very different i mean i think that um a lot of i say a lot of but it's really only this halloween 2009 and then halloween 2018 they've all had different loomises every single one of them it's yeah. just been like a completely like different takes on loomis which i think is one of the most interesting things to come out of like halloween reimaginings is just like completely redoing loomis every time um and malcolm mcdowell definitely does that um <laughs> um Loomis is, as I have always thought, not particularly likable. I didn't like him in the original, so I'm glad that when movies exploit that aspect of him. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting in this one because I feel like Dr. Loomis undergoes kind of a transformation, especially in the second movie. Um, you can see 
it like in the first iteration of Loomis here, when he first meets Michael, he's got like long hair. He's like sort of a hippie kind of guy. Um, and he's like very, uh, he seems sort of caring of Michael Myers. He's like he, trying to figure out what's going on with him, trying to really understand why he does the things he does. And like in a lot of these scenes in the montage, you see him actually sort of relating to him and like playing with the masks that Michael makes. Um, I can't believe that, they let Michael make those masks. I just want to yeah. put that out there. Um. <laughs> I'm sure it's something like Dr. Loomis said, oh, it's an important part of his therapy or something. And that's true. Um, and as we know from other installments, when Dr. Loomis says something, it just happens. So. Yeah, apparently. Um, but yeah, Michael makes all these masks while he's in this psychiatric ward. Um, just tons of different masks out of like paper and whatever he can find, apparently. Um, yeah, it's like walking into the spirit Halloween stores mask section. <laughs> it's like, it, there are so many fucking masks. It was just like, that's all he does. And I think it's, I mean, thematically masks are very appropriate to Michael Myers, but it is like really weird that they let him make them. I just, I need to say that over and over. It's very fucking weird because it's like, clearly this guy's a serial killer in the making. So, um, I mean, he already is technically, but you know, yeah. he's going to do more like if he ever gets out, like, so yeah, it's he he doesn't seem like he's going to change or anything. Um and in this montage it's kind of established that Michael doesn't really uh own up to having murdered anyone. He thinks that like somebody else did it. Yes. Uh and it, it, the way he's talking it's almost as if he believes that there's some other entity within himself that's responsible for murdering. Um yeah. it's specific- such a weird say keep going specifically it seems like he thinks when he puts on the mask he actually becomes a different person yeah so it's really it's really weird um and like oh god it's creepy it's also it's like it brings up the argument like is he just like bullshitting like does he know what he did and he's just like saying this or does is this like genuine like is he like and then you i mean in you have to like factor. I mean, you know, you have to factor in the, like the what eight movies that came before this. Um, or is it seven? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> you know, like you're thinking like, okay, you have options. Like he's lying. He actually remembers and he just wants to bullshit. Uh, two, he's completely insane and really doesn't realize that he did it. And three, it actually is supernatural. And like, there is like something taking over him, making him do this. And it's like, right. you know, and like, I will say that, I don't think these movies lend any credence to any sort of supernatural thing for the most part. I mean, a little bit because Michael has superhuman like strength and stuff half the time, but like adrenaline can make you do weird things. But like, you've seen like eight movies previously of Michael Myers doing like obviously supernatural things. You kind of think like maybe this movie is saying that like, yes, that is actually what's happening here. Um, but even if it is, he was a creep before he put on the mask. So can you really just buy that? Like, um, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't, It there's always a bit of vagueness in these movies. Like, you can't quite tell. There does seem to be a lot of elements pointing to him being like a classic psychopath. Yeah, um, they're I, trying to like adding the things like the animal killing and all the other stuff, like the rough childhood and stuff sort of is like building around the classic profile of a serial killer. Uh, so trying to make him in, into more of a real uh, possible serial killer rather than some sort of overhyped 
uh, crazy unstoppable force. Right. Uh, also worth mentioning the the first like when he gets the classic Michael Myers mask in this movie, um, it's from the boyfriend of his sister. It's like his Halloween mask that he puts on while he's killing the sister. Yes. Uh, so he actually kills like the, his sister while wearing the Michael Myers mask as a child, which is also something very different from the original. He it's doesn't really, get it yeah. until an adult. Um, so that was cool. And so in this, in this whole section where it's showing him as a child in prison, um, he murders a nurse while, uh, Dr. Loomis and his mom are off talking somewhere. Um, yes. which is like very irresponsible of them to just leave him there with this unassuming nurse. Um, yeah. And like he flips, he he does it while he's wearing like one of his little paper masks. And then like when they take the mask off, he's like flipping out. And then after that, presumably he never says another word to anyone. Like that's where he stops talking. Um, So I think it's been interesting up to that point. Like we actually got to hear Michael say a lot of things. Uh, We don't really we can't really draw any complete conclusions, but we do get a lot more of insight into what he's thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that they chose to, I mean, cause you know, we're used to hearing Michael say literally nothing. That's Michael's whole shtick. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but we do for a good, like, what is it? The first like quarter of this movie. Um, yeah. He's talking most of the, I mean, not most of the time, but he's talking a lot of the time. And when he's yeah. not talking, we're following him. Like, it's not like other Halloween injuries where we're following the victim and Michael just shows up. Like, we are following Michael, even if he's not speaking. It's always from, like, his perspective for, like, the first one-fourth of this film. And it's, like, a very... And it's, like, from his perspective in a way that it's not just, like, tracking shots where you know you're looking through his eyes. You're literally, like, you're watching... You're experiencing his life with him. And, like... I don't want to say you're like feeling with him because like this movie, one thing it does not do is ask you to be like, yes, I relate to you, Michael. I understand why you're going through what you're going. Like it's pretty harshly. It's like, nah, he's not good. Like um, he has it shitty, but he's, he's the fuck up too. Um, (laughs) So um, yeah, it's just, it, it provides a little more understanding of why he is the way he is. And it's, it is interesting that like a full half hour of this film is spent on getting to see his childhood. Uh, it's not just like a brief flashback. We get like some real serious time uh, with Michael Myers before he was like Michael Myers. Right. Like knowing that like his mom was like a stripper who had like a second, we assume husband um, who was terrible to Michael with a sister that occasionally seemed to like join in on the chiding. Like, you know, like he was bullied at school all the time. He was a weird kid, but maybe being bullied and at home and at school made him weirder. I don't think that helps. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's tough. And then he's getting this like weird, awe conditioning love from his mom who God bless her. She seems great, but maybe she needed to be a little firmer at times. Um, <laughs> you know, like maybe he shouldn't be like potentially killing rats is all I'm saying. Um, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, one thing 
I, I wrote down before we move on. Uh, there's a set. There's a portion of this montage in the prison uh, that takes place at Christmas, and I just wrote down uh, Michael at Christmas equals Black Christmas 2006. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gave me yes. some serious vibes right there. I was just like, okay, you know, we got the deranged killer in prison. It's Christmas. He could break out. Uh, it is notable. It's like the only time we see. Michael Myers not around Halloween because like every other movie is exclusively taking place around Halloween. Yeah, um, that's true, actually. So, yeah. So then we see Michael Myers like all grown up in his 20s. Uh, he's in prison and it's like a few days before Halloween. And now we're like, OK, now is when the movie is going to like really kick into the classic gear. Yeah, uh, still not cute, though. It's not. <laughs> Not cute, not cute. Uh, so, and Loomis at this point still seems to really care for Michael, I'll say. Um, at this point in the original, Loomis is full on like, I looked into his eyes and saw nothing there. And like, the man is a monster. Like, he must be eliminated and all that. And But Loomis is still like trying to look after Michael's interests. Um, he still treats him like a human being here. And... Um, but he's he's very much not like in favor of him getting out or anything. Um, but on the other hand, Loomis does uh, feel perfectly fine with calling Michael a monster in his books and his presentations, which he apparently gives in this version of the movie. Uh, we see him <laughs> speaking in front of a college class and like talking about like the mind of the killer and stuff like that. Uh, and he's he's certainly not using the same sort of tone that he does around Michael. He's very much more like demonizing him and like using the kind of monster type language that Loomis used in the originals. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the the disparity between like how he actually talked to Michael and, as a child and like how he talks about him are, you know, it's pretty stark. And I think it says a lot about. Uh, just like how people talk about, I don't know, like for one thing, like the mentally ill, which makes it sound like I'm saying like we should sympathize with Michael because he was treated poorly by the mental health system. That's not true. Um, it just like, it's very clear that Loomis is maybe trying to drum things up to make, put some attention on himself and make some money. Right. It's not like he's <laughs> calling him a monster because he's like, well, this is how he should be classified medically for xyz reason he's doing it because it's getting him attention yes because people want to read his book now and all that stuff he's doing Although maybe he, he should knows. be called a monster hmm? yeah i mean it's debatable loomis loomis takes very different tones at many points during this series about whether we should like tell everyone to take michael seriously or if oh if we tell everyone about this they'll be seeing him on every street corner yeah that's the loomis way <laughs> Hard to tell, hard to tell. Um, also, so Michael at this point is scary as shit. <laughs> he <laughs> is like, like, so Michael in the original movies, you know, fairly imposing guy. You know, he's probably around six feet or so. Uh, he's wearing coveralls the entire time. You can't see whether he's like jacked or anything. But uh, Michael in this movie is like, holy, holy shit. Uh, he's like seven feet tall. Yeah. He's like extremely muscular. Uh, 
and he's got like this long hair that hangs down in his face and like a beard. So you like, you really can't see much of his face even when he's not wearing a mask, but like every scene where they show him in the prison, is just like, Oh my God. And he's like, he's filmed to absolutely play up his size every time that it's possible. Yeah. It's very, it's very important that they do that. It's also very important to note that this did come out in 2007, like, which was sort of in the, like, the height of we are casting our murderers with wrestlers. So, yes. Um, yeah. He is a which, professional wrestler. He is a professional wrestler. Uh, he is played by Tyler Maine. And so I think that, you know, it's just, like, very, it's very interesting, but it's also very funny. He's, like, I would say that the original Michael Myers is almost, other than the fact that he's Michael Myers wearing that mask, he does not look particularly threatening. Like, if you saw somebody in that outfit without the mask, you'd think, okay, whatever. It's, if it's I saw this version of Tyler Maine with that hair and that outfit and that just, like, basically grizzled look, I would be like, mm, I actually uh, think I'm going to be murdered now. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> like, he's just, like, scary on his own. Like, <laughs> Which is why it's so weird when the guards are, like, just laughing it off around him. <laughs> The guard specifically <laughs> Danny Trejo. Well, no, Danny Trejo like actually likes him. Uh, yes. Danny Trejo is playing like a. That's a, a misstep on his part, but um. Yeah, um, but Jan Danny Trejo considers him to be like sort of a friend. Meanwhile, the other, like one of the other guards, is just like, oh, like yeah, uh, Michael. He's like teasing him and like making fun. I was like, what if I just ripped all your masks off the wall, huh? What would you do then? And, like, oh well, he'd probably kill you. Yeah, that's actually that crazy. That makes no sense. I can't imagine behaving that way around Michael Myers. Yeah, like you've seen what he's done. And he has not become any less scary than when he was 11 years old. In fact, he's a lot scarier now. Like late at night, the, the really stupid guard, who's the new one, uh, like brings one of his buddies in so they can like rape one of the female inmates there <laughs> which is like a really horrifying scene uh and then they like they like bring her into michael myers's room <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. like this seems like oh yeah this party's already pretty fun let's get the fucking serial killer involved uh okay, yeah so obviously that's a fucking mess it's it's a nightmare and predictably <laughs> The guards all get killed. Uh, yes. Well, the guard and his friend, who I don't even know who he was. He just wants to have sex in a mental institute for some reason. Uh, you know, it's a Rob Zombie movie. Hey, um, <laughs> kink shaming. <laughs> he's buck and he's here to fuck. <laughs> it's basically that guy all over again. Um, and then... Um, in a, in a very sad scene, he also kills Danny Trejo by like drowning him in a vat of water. Um, it's actually it's really sad because Danny Trejo's like, Michael, stop. I was your friend. I was good to you. And yeah. it's also Danny Trejo, who we all know and love. So it's just like very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. And he's a very <laughs> likable character throughout all yeah. of this. Uh, so yeah, it's sad to see him murdered, but it's like, oh yeah. Like now we can see Michael is serious. Michael doesn't care about anyone. He'll right. even kill yes. someone who treated him like a friend. Uh, and we also see him kill two guards in like this really 
silly vending machine scene later on. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he breaks out. Uh, <laughs> he kills some guy in a truck stop for his clothes uh, in an extremely brutal but also funny scene because it's like in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, yes. And I had to mention this again. Mr. Sandman is used in this movie. Yes, it, it is. Also, it was also used in Halloween six. And it's also I used in Halloween. Um, it's in Halloween one or two. It's in one of the, uh, the original two. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, That's that makes why. a little more sense. It's like, it's like, it's so it's like a throwback. Um, I still don't know why it's used though. Like, is it like he's the Sandman and he's coming to put you to I sleep? I don't really know, but it has become like, like a, a reference point for the franchise. Like yeah. people just sort of recognize it as part of it. I, I like it would fit better love in it. Friday the 13th. No, not Friday the 13th. No. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. You know Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know what you're, you're going <laughs> Um, Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, it's really weird that it keeps showing up, but yeah, I like it though. Um, I think it's really cool. Personally. It's interesting. It's it's kind of spooky. It's like that classic thing where it's like, oh, it's a lighthearted song, but it's in a scary context, so it's like kind of creepy. It's because it's uh, old too. Like, um, and like Mr. Sandman is like a mythical, you know. Like, I don't know. There, there's a lot of like cool. There's a lot of good reasons for it. Did you know the official genre for Mr. Sandman is barbershop music? Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, is it? Fun. I fun. did not. I would not have pegged it as that, but okay. I would not have pegged that as a real genre of music. Um, well, like a barbershop quartet, but that's not really. But I would, I would think that's like a version that was. That's just like pop music. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just like. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, genres are funny to me. Um, anyway, yeah. So I love that. I love that they use Mr. Sandman, um, mainly because I love that song. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's a great song. <laughs> So um, Michael digs up, like, uh, once again, we get, like, an abandoned Myers house in this movie. And Michael goes there and digs up the mask and knife that he apparently, like, stashed in the attic when he was a child. Um, which is very unusual. <laughs> like, I don't know why he would think to do that. But it also leads to him getting, like, a new form of the mask. Because the mask that he has is, like, sort of deteriorated a little bit it like clearly looks old and dirty so it gives them like kind of a grittier look Mm -hmm. it's like it's been like eaten by like flies or something like yeah (laughs) like the cheap latex is deteriorated or something like now that we're in the in the modern time i guess and like this is by the way i think this is supposed to be like modern for 2007 Yes, I think so. The characters are dressed as such and they act as such. And you see people using cell phones too, which is very yes. interesting because you'd think that cell phones in the Halloween universe would really put a damper on a lot of what's going on, but uh, not enough, apparently. Not in 07 and 09. Maybe now. Maybe now. Yeah. Because I guess back then... Like, it seems like not everybody has a cell phone in this movie. Like, like I'm, I'm just thinking, like, like, I joined Twitter in 2009. And I was early to the Twitter game for a lot of my friends. Yeah, back then you had to, like, text in your 
tweets or something. Yeah, you had to, yeah. yes. If you wanted to post while you were not at a computer, you had to text them. And I so I'm just thinking Twitter like- there and like used it no times. Basically. Like now a, a single house double murder, like something Michael puts up could result in like a major Twitter moment. Everybody would know about it. Oh nine, it was gonna start to get there maybe, but like oh seven, nobody knew what what was going on. Like, um, so I don't know. I think it's like totally believable that cell phones didn't change much. People could just call the police faster, but if the police didn't get there, what did it matter? And we are at forty minutes, so we're gonna really have to pick up the pace here. Well, uh, okay. take a drink. So, in the modern times, we have uh, Lori Strode once again is here um she is living with her parents and we get like a breakfast scene of them which is kind of a neat parallel to michael myers breakfast scene earlier this breakfast scene is like a lot more lighthearted. uh we do get is this the one where we get uh eggs that are called chicken abortions oh yeah i think it is yeah um yeah lori <laughs> is apparently like a vegan here so she's like i don't want to eat chicken abortions is that here or is that in the sequel Oh, I can't remember. Either yeah. way, it definitely happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. I think the um, bigger pro-veganism scene comes in the second movie, though, so we can hold off on that commentary. Until yes, the second. the second movie is extremely vegan. Lori is um, kind of different from how she's depicted in... Uh, oh, drink again. We... Okay. If we're <laughs> drinking every minute, we're going to be... We're, I'm going to finish, like, the, le- the, le- the rest of this six-pack. Like... <laughs> We're going to have to get through this, Matt. We're going to make it, all right? Wait. Our, I'm just going to say now our original time limit is not happening. Um, okay. All right. All right. All right. We're going. We're going. Um, so Lori is not entirely the same as she is in the original movies. I feel like she's a little more outgoing here. Uh, she she's has- not the straight-laced girl she was in like the originals. You know, yeah. like the original, she was like straight lace, straight A's all the time. Like this one, uh, I'm thinking she's a little more lax. Yeah, she's more more of a kind of a goof off. Um, yeah. more like she she has friends and she uh she seems less um like alienated from them in terms of like dating, which uh like the original Lori was. When when she gets she does get teased about Ben Tramer here, but she's less like don't don't tell Ben Tramer, don't tell him. She's like, oh really? Ben's interested in me, huh? Like she's she's a little more uh, she's a little less uptight. Get, I'm like, telling you, it all comes back to the idea of fate being in your hands versus out of your hands. And in this movie, Laurie Short is like, oh, he's into me, and you told him that's fine. Whereas Laurie in the original was like, oh, you told him, no, 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 no that's not okay because this is not in my hands. I want control. There's a mm-hmm. there's a lot about control and stuff going on here. That's the whole thing. Mm, Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode is such an interesting character. This Laurie is just like a very like more freewheeling. Like, I mean, I don't get the impression that she's like off the rails. Like, you know, she's not like getting drunk or like doing anything like that at the age of 16 or whatever she is here. Um, But she is like, I'm going to have a good time. And if I don't make an A plus on every single grade, that might be fine. As opposed to Laurie in the original who was like, I must get straight A's all the time and read my chemistry textbook, which nobody has ever read in their entire lives. So that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, she seems, she seems like much more willing to just like hang out with her friends and goof off. Yeah. Uh, I, a lot of the friends scenes like feel kind of the same in terms of the dialogue, except that they swear a lot more. 
because it's a Rob yeah, Zombie. It's Rob Zombie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do think. Um, I think we get a little more like parent interaction than the original Halloween entries. Um, like, like I feel like I know a little bit more about Lori's relationship to her parents, right? Um, right. I mean, parents in quotes, I guess, because you know. But like, I feel like it, it feels like they have a good relationship, though. That's what's important here. Like, it's actually good. It seems like Lori has a good home life. Um, and it, as opposed to the original movies where it's like, I really had no idea how Lori's home life was. None whatsoever. Like, <laughs> no. like her dad is in charge of the real estate company and she has to, like, help him out with the keys and stuff. And that's uh, relevant like, here, too, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, we get uh, like a replay of that scene where she goes by the Myers house because she's got the keys. Um, uh, she's dropping off the keys, something like that. She's dropping off like an envelope for yes. the house um, because they're trying to sell it. Uh, so that part's very much the same. A lot of that, like the all that early on stuff from Halloween plays out pretty much the same way, just in a yeah. more modern setting. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> she's got the friend whose dad is the cop again. And I think it's really funny how much they're all like shitting on him for being a cop. here. <laughs> it's like, you did not get that at all in here, but here they're like, Oh fuck cops. All that. One of them calls the cop car, a bacon mobile. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I don't want to ride a va- bacon mobile. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is like more upfront about the distrust of cops. Um, Love that. I do love that the sheriff is Brad Dorif. Love that. Yes. Oh, and um, he's great. And he's especially great in the next Halloween, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's so good. Um, he's very good. Brad Dorif from Child's Play, which we've We discussed. also, and I can't believe we haven't even mentioned it yet, Danielle Harris is Annie Brackett, who is the daughter of the sheriff. And Danielle Harris is Jamie. We haven't talked about it. What? <laughs> That's Jamie from Halloween Jamie. 4 and 5. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. I did not realize that. That is crazy. <laughs> yes. So Jamie is officially back, y'all. Um, and she, is Lori's, she is Lori's best friend, Annie. And I think it's fucking awesome that Rob Zombie contacted her and brought her back. I think it's super cool. I think she kills it as Annie in this one and especially in the next one. That's um, you know that's exactly the sort of thing that I could see Rob Zombie doing. So I'm glad yep. he does that. He always has really yep. cool casting, like when he had Karen Black in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, uh, yes. He yeah he gets he like this cast is incredible. By the way, I yeah. mean like Malcolm McDowell, Brad Dorif, uh, Scout Taylor Compton, and like Danny Trejo. It's just like it goes on and on. This is incredible cast for this movie. Yes. Um, oh, and Sid Haig as the graveyard yep. guy. <laughs> I, when I, I completely forgot he was even in this movie. When I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, Sid Haig. Yes. The gravekeeper is officially named Chester Chesterfield. Um, <laughs> so iconic and also my hometown, maybe, um, which is right next to Chesterfield, just to be clear, um, but also next to a place called Chester. So it's just very funny. Um, but by the yeah, way, so. That graveyard scene plays out very similarly to the original, except they find a crucified coyote on the grave instead oh, yeah. of just a empty <laughs> I forgot that it was a <laughs> Which is just a crazy, like, super black metal kind of moment there. I'm just like, oh my god. 
this entire movie just like kind of feels like a Rob Zombie song, you know? I feel it it's just like Michael Myers and his stripper mom murdering <laughs> teenagers, <laughs> you know? Okay, first of all, his stripper mom isn't doing anything anymore at this point. His stripper Save mom that for the sequel, very good. please. Um, yes. But right now, so a lot of, I think that's actually a good way to describe this middle section of the movie where it's a lot of the same plot beats as the original Halloween. So if you're familiar with that, you'll know how this movie's going, but it's taken to the Rob Zombie level. So all of the violence is worse. Everyone is swearing more. Um, you know, it's just a little bit different. Um, after, I think this is right after the graveyard scene. Um, or, but it's at least before like the Halloween murders start happening. There's just an inner title that just says trick or treat. Yes. <laughs> Which I found very interesting. It's like, oh, okay, that's where we're going. Things are about to kick off, aren't they? I really appreciated that, yes. <laughs> <sighs> so I guess we should get into like just like Michael's antics. Yes. Um so first of all, that we have like sort of a recreation of the scene where he kills uh the f- friend who's the cheerleader and her boyfriend um the one with the ghost yes the ghost the ghost scene um the the ghost uh the ghost scene is kind of uh subverted here which i found interesting um like it's actually the boyfriend wearing the the ghost thing i think yes yeah that what it was Yeah. yeah so like you expect it's oh it's gonna be michael wearing the the ghost thing but it was actually the boyfriend and he was actually pulling a prank. Um, we also have Don't Fear the Reaper in this scene. We do, yes. <laughs> which is like, like it's playing as Michael's coming up uh, to murder the girl. And it's like, okay, so he's probably thinking of his sister right now as he's doing it. <laughs> that's so that's funny. great. You don't want that to happen. No. Yeah, he kills both of them there. Um, <laughs> the boyfriend has like a really cool van that he's like getting beer out of the boyfriend does have a cool van he has like a cooler of beer um which is really funny because it's like what did you think you were gonna need to drink for your hookup with this girl like why did you think you needed like a whole like i think it was like a it was like a full cooler of beer i was like you don't (laughs) what do you think y'all are doing how much beer do you need for this maybe maybe other people are supposed to come over later i don't know right like maybe it was supposed to be like a house party or something but they're they're like doing this in the abandoned michael myers house which is like not a good idea no but they don't know that michael myers is like out and about like i'm willing to chalk that up to like stupid teens ready to be scared kind of behavior yeah i guess um, but because you know, i i can totally see myself doing something like that as a high schooler so <laughs> it's the classic like let's party in the murder house thing it's like i oh, like would have done that like if i had had access to a murder <laughs> house i would have partied in it so i just didn't have that capacity. i mean we we can always we can always book a weekend at myrtles in louisiana if you want to do that you um what i'm always down <laughs> to go to we're louisiana. gonna do it 2022 um, let's go yeah, um, God, that was depressing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, and we we've got the whole thing here where Lori is babysitting, and uh, her friend, 
uh, Annie brings the other kid over so that she can go off and have sex. Uh, and so Lori's just babysitting the two kids. Um, then Annie gets like horribly attacked, uh, but actually survives. Yeah. So Annie lives. Um, is that, it's really unclear for a long stretch of this movie if Annie lives. Um, but Annie gets like, because her boyfriend is like in the process of removing his shirt when Michael attacks him is one thing that I distinctly recall as a young queer man growing up um, is that he got like basically murdered the moment he took off his shirt. And I was like, same been there. Um, (laughs) But then Annie, I don't even know how Annie managed to survive that. I mean, she got like brutally, brutally stabbed. She was just like covered in blood. There was like a pool of it all around her. Um, It doesn't seem likely that she would survive, but um you know and she had to be found by her dad the sheriff um in the original movie like her dad finds her dead and it's like it's just a horrifyingly sad moment for him it's still a sad moment here but like she's still alive and like he's trying to help her so that's slightly better i guess yeah. <laughs> um uh michael kills Lori's parents in this one which is uh yeah that's a big change that that was a horrifying scene because i was really sad yeah i wasn't (laughs) expecting it at all and i was just like oh shit now lori doesn't have any parents like even if she survives this she's not gonna have parents yeah it's really sad actually like she like really yeah And, and he like it's sad it's really sad because you know that they have a good relationship in this movie. So like you've seen them like seem to be happy as a family and then they just get like slaughtered. Um, but you know, that's the Michael Myers way. Ruining happiness. Oh, I meant to, I meant to read in this line uh, from when uh, Dr. Loomis finds out that Michael Myers is on the loose. Uh, he said, you and that army of shirt tuckers up there, you know damn well where he's going. <laughs> that army of shirt tuckers. Yeah. And there's like, there's this whole bit between him and like the, the, I guess the warden of the place who's played by Udo Kier, who has a very interesting, but understated role here. Um, and they're like, they're, there's just a lot of bureaucracy clearly around here, which is kind of fleshed out of what we see at the first movie where they're trying to like cover up how they let Michael Myers escape. Um, sure. Yeah. It's a lot more clear here. So yeah, Dr. Loomis is on the scene during all this, by the way, we get a weird scene where we see him buying a gun, which I don't know <laughs> why yeah. we need that. Like I just assumed Mike, like Loomis is the crazy kind of guy who carries around a gun, but here we get to see him buy the gun. All right. We get the graveyard scene. He's, running around trying to save Lori. He, uh, he knows basically where, um, where Michael is going because he knows that Michael has a a little sister who survived the original attack. Um, who, um, when Sherry moon came home, like Michael was holding her and, uh, and he know like he finds out that that sister is Lori Strode. 
Just yeah, right. I like that in this one, that's not a secret in the first movie the same way. Um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty apparent throughout, so. <laughs> yeah, and so he's trying to save her. Um, there's this really cool scene where after Michael's been chasing Lori through the house, Lori like ends up in this like empty pool that's full of dead leaves and stuff. And Loomis yeah. is like shows up and he's like, Michael, stop, stop. And he's like telling Michael not to do it. And then he he like he's forced to shoot him. And you can see there's actually like resistance here. He doesn't want to kill Michael. Um, yeah. Which is very different from Loomis in the first one. Loomis is just like six slots, six slugs straight to the head. You know? Yeah. I think <laughs> Loomis in the original was right. Um, <laughs> Probably. But, <laughs> um <laughs> I, yeah, I do think it's interesting. I also really love the imagery of that entire final sequence when Laurie is just like trying to get away from Michael. Um, it's very upsetting. Laurie is just having the worst night of her life, um, which, you know, not surprising. And so she, when she's in the pool, first of all, I always think about poltergeist. Um, don't know why. Um, I mean, I do know why. It's because they have that, that like they're the, it's on that like burial ground and those things come out of the pool. Um, oh, but, but every single time it's like without fail, I think of poltergeist, but I think the visuals are really cool. I think it's like a real, I don't know what it really means. I don't know if it does mean anything. It's just like this really cool, like imagery of her falling into like the deep end of the pool, which is like dried up except for like these dry dead leaves. Like, I don't know. It's like this really cool visual. Um, she's got these, she ends up with these leaves like in her hair because she's yeah. just like fucking <laughs> having it's like, it. <laughs> it's a very autumn imagery too with the dead leaves and everything. It is. And there's something about like being in like this, like, you know, she's in the deep end. It's like 10 feet, you know, like, like she's in the pool, but it's dry. There's nothing there. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm being an English major now, but it's like, it doesn't matter how deep she is in the pool. It's like, it's dried up. Like, it doesn't matter what you look for here. There's nothing more to gain about who Michael is. Like, it's just like, he's just going to keep coming for you. Like, he's going to keep doing it. He's going to murder. This is what he's here for. We can provide all this backstory about his stepdad, about his bullies, whatever. But at the end of the day, he was preconditioned. He's going to be, he's going to fucking kill people. Like, that's who he is. That's what he was destined to do. And like, no matter how deep Lori goes, that's all he was going to do. Um, so I don't know, like, it's just like that to me. It's like this, like, symbolism of, like, depth is very interesting in a movie like this where it's, like, exploring his backstory in this, like, quote-unquote deep way where, that other movies did not do. And it's still like, but at the end of the day, we can't come up with anything. There is nothing. There's no way to explain why Michael did what he did. He is still just a monster. Like, yeah. So, and I think also, that's a great place to end it for Laurie to be in that pool like that. Also worth mentioning is uh, like right before that, the reason that they ended up at the old uh, Myers house is because Michael like kidnapped her, took her there. Um, and he was trying to like show Lori that she was his sister. Like he, yes. he was like showing her this old photograph. I think he even takes off his mask in that scene. Yeah. And it's like, it's unclear like what his, intentions at this point are like he still might be trying to kill her who knows but he's like sort of not not in murdering mode for like a minute but Lori like stabs him and like runs away and then he's just like full-on trying to kill her from there uh, i can't blame him for 
I mean, I can't blame her for just stabbing him anyway. Yeah, so. no. I mean, it, it, any reasonable person would probably do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to see, like, that moment there. It's like, is he really trying to connect with her? Does he, like, really have some sort of intention beyond just trying to eliminate his last living relative? Who knows? It's also such an interesting motivation to have. Um, yeah. It's like, why? Why does it matter, Michael? He, he uh, killed all the other ones. He's just trying to complete the set, I guess. I don't know. But then, like, what do you do once she's gone? Like, if he had killed her right there, what would he do from there? You know, like, um, but, you know, that's okay. I believe that, I, like, I buy that that's why he would go back. It makes as much sense as anything. But it is, like, but also he would just go back to his old home. Like, I completely believe any of that. He would go back to Haddonfield. Why? Why, Michael? Why do you want to do that? I mean, the real answer is there is no reason, but, you know. No. So, uh, Michael somehow survives getting shot in the pool. He grabs Lori again and is, like, dragging her back into the house. There's a lot more, like, fighting between Loomis and Michael here. Uh, you know, Loomis gets, like, his... He gets that sort of skull crush thing from Michael... But he yeah. survives it apparently and shows up later to shoot Michael again. And then he gets like kind of beaten down. There's this whole chase scene through the old house where they're like really like destroying parts of it, like crashing through walls and stuff. It's like yeah. a an amped up version of the closet stabbing scene in the original movie. It's like completely nuts. Like <laughs> oof. In and to end this all off. Michael like grabs Lori and like plunges off a balcony with her. Yep. Which is kind of reminiscent of when Michael gets shot out of the window in the first movie. Um, yeah, it's obviously supposed to be reminiscent of that, yeah. right? Like, and and Lori is like on top of him and just like shoots him several times in the head and just like starts screaming. And that's how the movie ends. That is how it's crazy that it ends right there. Like she just like shoots him and screams. Um, there's no, I mean, there's no closure whatsoever. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I guess is also fitting for this movie's depiction of Michael. It's like, is it fate or is that just like what he was like, how he was made by his horrible treatment growing up? Who's to say um, at the end of the day, we are not going to tell you why. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, like the end of this is wild. It's just like so intense and seeing her just like killing him with like pure rage. It's like, it's kind of how H2O ends. You know, you've got like that victorious moment when Lori gets to actually be the one to defeat her attacker. Uh, yes. It's yes. very extreme. When you said H2O, I thought resurrection and I was like, less goofy <laughs> maybe. Um, uh. No, no, not that one. <laughs> Yeah, it is sort of like that. Um, yeah, it's very cathartic. And like, it's interesting how, I mean, interesting, I say, but what I mean is great how like cathartic Rob Zombie manages to make like the ending of this movie after only one movie of this character. Like, this is the first time we've seen this Laurie Strode. And like, by the end, I'm like, I'm all in. I'm like, please win. Please, please, please. But, you know. Yeah, no, I feel like I feel like uh, even though we were just given one movie here, you know, already like this Lori is really well established. She feels like a real character. You've, you've seen her like struggling through really brutal events with Michael Myers, having her parents killed, having her friends killed, 
being attacked like really brutally. And, you know, it, it's great to see her victorious at the end. Or so it seems. Or because so it seemed. Of course, there's a sequel to this. Yes. So Halloween 2 came out in 2009, also directed and written by Rob Zombie. Um, he was initially kind of against the idea of making a sequel to this movie. But I think after like a few of his other projects fell through, he started to sort of come around to the idea. Uh, but he came into this one very much wanting to do it his own way. And after his remake of the original had gone pretty well, it performed pretty well at the box office. They were willing to give him like mostly free reign to kind of do what he wanted here. Right. And I mean, he definitely made it his way. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. This movie is probably one of the more in definitely one of the more insane installments in the entire Halloween franchise. And one of them, like, unless you count Halloween three, I'd say it's one of the most different from the original. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Halloween 3 is obviously the most different, but <laughs> there's just no way around that. But yeah, this one is up there. It's uh, a... What? It's, it's got some uh, It's got some uh, detractors and some supporters for that reason. Yes. Um, myself, I really like what he did with this. It's, it's a, a big departure, but it's very interesting and original. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I really like this movie. I like this movie a lot. I like it more every time I see it. Um, so... Yeah, it's really cool. It's aged pretty well, I think. And it's it has, yeah. I actually think it's one of those movies that has gotten better with age. Like both of the Rob Zombie installments, I think. Like the horror fan base has like come more and more around on both of them with with passing time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so. So Halloween 2 starts out with uh, Laurie at like from the end of Halloween walking down the street, you know, just covered in blood, limping, totally like torn up from this attack. And she's still holding the gun and she's just sort of like walking for like to no apparent destination, just sort of walking out there. And then the sheriff comes up and finds her and is like, are you like, Lori, it's okay. Like, like we're uh, come with us. Like it's going to be fine. And then um, we also see, them uh carting off dr loomis into an ambulance and he's he apparently survived this attack even though he seemed to be killed like two different occasions in the previous <laughs> movie um yeah. and we also see michael being uh loaded into a morgue truck because he's dead obviously clearly um <laughs> and um the the film follows uh michael's journey as he is transported in this morgue truck, we get a very interesting, very Rob Zombie-ish conversation between the people driving the morgue truck where they're talking about like how hot one of the girls who was murdered was and how yes. <laughs> he's like, hey, <laughs> you ever do something with one of the dead bodies, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> What is going on here? Very it's, upsetting. It's some more of that my name is buck and i like to fuck kind of energy yes <laughs> it's like I, this is not this is not cool these are bad people um yes. but so they're they're driving along they're having this conversation and all of a sudden 
one of them just starts out cow 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 <laughs> and there's a huge cow like right in the middle of the road they crash into it the cow like explodes and yes. the the van gets absolutely wrecked um there's it's this is like a really gory scene uh the guy yes. driving the car dies and gets like horribly mangled and the guy in the passenger seat is like he's alive but he's like stuck on like a part of the car or something he can't move yeah he can't get like, away uh, uh. He, he's like horribly mangled and then michael myers comes to life and he's asking michael myers for help which is which, very funny it makes no sense yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like all right you know like you just heard the whole story about how bad this guy is you were discussing it in the car by the way but you're like oh help me <laughs> you're not like why the fuck are you alive <laughs> and then michael messily decapitates him uh just like sawing off his head it's like really vicious he's like it's like with like a, a ragged piece of the van like <laughs> that he's <Yeah>. just picked up <laughs> classic like michael myers use what you have type logic he's just like taking a piece of this car i'm gonna saw this guy's head off uh yes. and it's so it's so messy and like right from the start here you're seeing like okay so if the first rob zombie halloween was pretty gory compared to the other ones this one is going to take it in a whole new direction yes. uh this is this is very very intense stuff very gritty you hear like all the different sounds and everything you see you a sure lot do. of blood flying everywhere yeah it's, it's, it's gross also worth noting that the cow is the the first of three prominent animals featured in this film so you know um <laughs> oh yeah like, that's true <laughs> really weird uh motif happening there i think it's only three i don't i don't remember any animals other than the the we'll get to the the dog and of course the white horse but um i can't remember a fourth but yes the white horse is here oh uh, yes. and it's worth mentioning we did this again we missed the prologue to this film um because the prologue is fake <laughs> the prologue is important i don't know what it means but it's really cool um the film opens with a quote on the screen that says white horse linked to instinct purity and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. Yes. Which is a book that the movie made up. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it apparently is not a real book. <laughs> I am maintaining that it might be an old Loomis book and we've like missed that Easter egg. Something. Like it's like it's mentioned somewhere like on his shelf or something. And we just like that don't see it. We haven't seen it, you know, like something ridiculous like that. Because otherwise, it could, why, why would it be here? Like, it could be tied into the lore some way. And yeah. I think this is a way of like explaining some of the symbolism that's going to come later in the film well it's um, absolutely that <laughs> uh, it feels like very Jungian, sort of like sort of trying to explain dream sim symbols um in terms of the forces of the mind that they represent and um yeah so this symbol of the white horse is going to be very important throughout the film yes. uh it's shown right away after this in the other part of the prologue where um, we see uh, Sherry Moon visiting uh, Michael in the insane asylum. And she gives him this 
like toy white horse and just <laughs> talks to him about like what the horse is supposed to be. And uh, uh, also in this scene, uh, the, the kid playing Michael is different from in the previous movie. Uh, they apparently yeah. recast him because the kid got too old, which is a bit of a shame because I, I like that kid in the first one. He was like really creepy looking, but this guy, uh, this kid does okay in here. Um, He's fine, but yeah, I really miss the old, the old Michael Myers kid. Yeah, that was great casting. I don't know where they yeah. found that kid. He was so perfect. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the prologue that we missed here. Um, but that and that sets up what happens right after this guy is decapitated, which is <laughs> that he has this sort of ethereal. Michael has like this sort of ethereal vision of his mother in all white, holding the reins to a white horse. And it's like all glowing around her, <laughs> and yeah, she... <laughs> it's it's very bizarre. <laughs> and she's telling him he has to like complete what he started. I think is what they say there. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, yeah. You have to finish what what you've started. There, it like changes as the movie goes. On. Like not changes, but like progresses. Like it builds on itself. All of the different visions of her. At one point, it's like watching like an old Evanescence music video. <laughs> like, um, it, but yeah, so it's like finish what you started. It's the only way we can be together again. There's something about a river of blood. Like I don't know. It's like very, very bizarre. Um, yeah. It's, so it's like it's either like this sort of vision that Michael's having, or it's maybe it's a supernatural element. Who knows? Um, mostly he's probably insane (laughs) he seems to be pretty insane yes but if that is the case we're getting like a direct glimpse into the mind of michael myers from his perspective right here right uh, which is a very interesting thing you know like we've seen um we've seen a bit of insight before that's sort of what makes the first Halloween so interesting is that you see parts of it from the perspective of the killer. You've got all those steady cam shots that are supposed to be from his point of view. Right. Um, yeah. And this takes it to a completely different level. It's like Absolutely. letting you actually see the psychosis within his mind. Yeah. Which is a very scary place to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is scary. Um, also like these parts with Sherry moon, really reminded me of another one of uh rob zombies movies lords of salem where he's got all those like those creepy parts where she goes into like that demon dimension or whatever right (laughs) Uh, that was a really surreal movie that was i haven't seen that movie in a long time yeah me neither it's got some flavors of this in it yeah um so yeah so michael has this vision and like you see him walking towards his mother with the horse or whatever. And then you see um, uh, we get to see the hospital where Lori's been taken along with her friend, Annie. Annie. Um, and uh, Annie is in very bad shape. She's yes. like on like a respirator. She's completely unconscious and like always, obviously like really bandaged up and stuff. Lori is also not doing really well. Um, she's heavily bandaged and stuff, but apparently she's well enough to walk around a bit because she tries to go back and visit Annie and talk to her. And the nurse is trying to get her to go back to her room because she needs to rest. Yeah, uh, the nurse, the nurse being 
Octavia Spencer. Yes, the nurse being Octavia Spencer, which is incredible. Like when she showed up in here, I was like, oh my God, this is not Octavia Spencer in a Halloween movie. No oh, way. It is. <laughs> I mean, Octavia Spencer would go on to do Ma. So like she's got some horror love in her. That's true. Um, yeah. You know? That's that's what's great about her. She's not uh she won't turn up her nose at a horror despite no, no. being like an Oscar nominated actor. Yes. I mean, she wasn't at the time, maybe, but, <laughs> <laughs> but she's got the chops is the point. You know, yes, she's, absolutely. Yeah. she's not she's not slumming it. She's just uh she's doing she's doing what she likes here, I think. Right. Which is really cool. Um I like to think about the image of Rob Zombie and Octavia Spencer just like hanging out <laughs> around. <laughs> Very <laughs> unlikely co-workers. <laughs> you have it. Um, so, yeah. So so she's trying to get Lori to go back to her room. She finally convinces Lori to, like, it, uh, start walking down the hall. And she runs off. And then Lori um, goes back to try to get help. Because uh, she can't find her way back to her room. And <laughs> then there's this scene where... Uh, she sees Octavia Spencer like coming out of this door and she's like, Oh help miss over here. And she turns, uh, she turns around and you see that her like Octavia Spencer's face has been like split down the middle by like a knife or something. Yes. Like her nose is split in two. And she's got this big gash down the middle of her face and she's just like kind of like blubbering blood out. And then you see Michael Myers appear. Yes. And he is just, he is in full berserker mode. He just starts stabbing her and stabbing her and stabbing her. And Lori runs away. And Michael doesn't even follow her. He just like keeps stabbing Octavia Spencer like 30, <laughs> 30 plus times. It is <laughs> extraordinarily brutal. Poor Octavia yeah. Spencer. <laughs> she gets it harder than just about anybody else in the whole series. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He is just going to town. This is one of the, another one of these scenes early on where you're like, oh man, they're going like all in on this one. Tone is uh, so different. Yeah. It's crazy. It's very over the top uh, and it's intense. And meanwhile, Lori runs off to like the, the guard shack out in the uh, parking lot. And she's like hiding in there and the uh, the guard shows up to help her and then gets killed by Michael Myers. And then Michael Myers like destroys the guard shack completely trying to get to her. Yes. Like <laughs> tears down the walls and stuff. It's like, oh, my God, what is going on here? It's like he's at like, a certain point, he's not even like trying to just get to her. He's just like wreaking havoc. Like he's yeah. just destroying things. Like you could you could have probably gotten through that hole by now, but you're just like tearing down the entire wall. He's just like filled with this rage. And then he just stabs Lori, and then you see Lori wakes up. Yes. <laughs> because this whole hospital scene was apparently a dream that she was it's having. Such a weird thing. Like, and like it's obviously like they do the hospital bit because Halloween 2, the original, was in the hospital. Right. Um, and it they, very and, much feels similar to that. Yeah, and they're like clearly and like it's weird that they they do like a Halloween two was all a dream like joke. Um, but then at the same time, it's like was it like like Lori's like oh it was the like I don't know like she tells Annie she's like oh it was the hospital dream haven't had one of those in a while and it's like so was did you have a hospital experience with Michael Myers 
and we're just not actually seeing it or like what actually happened like <laughs> like that's a good point yeah it's it's kind of unclear i guess we can assume that she just had an uneventful time at the hospital or else like she'd be even more traumatized because she is like, pretty fucking fucked up. <laughs> she is very fucked up. <laughs> I don't, and like so is everybody else. Like that's that's like why I, I like like other than Annie, who seems to be like miraculously well adjusted. Um, mostly, yeah. Like like Lori and like Loomis, and we'll get to Loomis in depth, I'm sure. Loomis, they're both like fully like just fucking unhinged. Like they are completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, Sheriff Brackett is pretty traumatized too. Yeah. And so it's like, was it really just like that? Like, and it's very confusing. And I think it's intentionally confusing. Probably like, you know, that like her dream isn't just a recreation of what actually happened because like, there's a part where she's swimming through a pool of bodies. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. Yeah. During the whole chase sequence in the parking lot, she ends up in like a huge pile of bodies that the hospital just apparently keeps around. It's like, well, no, it's like nurses. It's they're in scrubs. Um, <laughs> I think the implication is it's Michael's victims that he Michael just killed all of them and just popped them in that dumpster. Well, it makes more sense than she was running around the hospital at one point and nobody could hear her scream. Um, but like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Michael would have to be very methodical to do that. I don't know. No, uh, we've seen Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. He will just go ape shit in a surgical room and like destroy all the nurses of the, the cult of the thorn or whatever. Um, yeah. But then he drags all the bodies to one location. Like, why not? I, I mean, well, obviously that part that is part Halloween. of the dream. Um, <laughs> he did do that in Halloween four. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's pretty gruesome though. That dr- crawling through all the bodies. It's gross. And I guess like to me, it's like this, there's also like the big question then becomes like, how the fuck did Michael actually get away? If like the hospital, like, did he, did the, the car crash still happen with the cow? And then the hospital was fake. Like, where do we draw the line on what was fake? (laughs) So I think at this point it's supposed to be ambiguous. Like maybe if the hospital part was fake, maybe the whole, uh, van crash was fake too. Um, and I think it's cleared up later that the van crash actually did happen. Because the van crash definitely did, yeah. They they talk about how it's like, oh, yeah, but like they didn't find his body, but there's no way he could have survived, stuff like that. It's like, really, guys? How many times have we seen this happen? But Well, to be fair, they haven't seen it <laughs> that this, many times. In this universe, in this we universe, haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's like, come on. If you don't have his body on hand, something must have happened. Also, like, have you never watched a soap opera? I mean, it is 2009. Like, there are soap operas on TV. If you don't find the body, they're coming back. So, I mean, like... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, Lori wakes up. It's actually two years later. Um, Once again, close to Halloween. Just a few days before. Uh, And she is in a really bad place. Lori is clearly extremely traumatized by her experiences with Michael Myers. Uh, She's gone like full. I don't know. It's not quite goth, but it's kind of like a, like a goth crust punk type. It's like the, the, it's like the quintessential Rob zombie aesthetic. Cause like, and I was thinking about this long and hard when I was thinking about what drinks to drink while we were doing this. Um, Cause I was like, I have to do something like kind of like trashy, like a, a Bud Light or a chorus or something. And I was like, oh, I should use, like, my camo koozie. And I was like, actually, the Rob Zombie aesthetic is not camo. It's like, (laughs) it is, like, white trashy, quote-unquote. But it's like, I listen to, like, 
I don't know, like Leonard Skinner and like, you know, shit like that. Like it is like this very specifically like classic punk rocky white trash. It is not like I listen to Kid Rock or anything. Like, right. <laughs> um, so it's an extremely specific aesthetic that he's yeah. got dialed in on all these movies that he does. And that's what she is. She's like ripped black jeans, baggy t shirts, hair that like, it's just all over the place, and maybe she teased it to look that way, or maybe she just woke up like that. I don't know. Um. <laughs> yeah. So she like so she's all full Rob Zombie aesthetic. She is uh, like having these horrifying dreams. Like this is apparently not the first super realistic dream she's had about Michael Myers coming back. Um, she still very much believes that Michael Myers is alive, even though. Uh, a lot of people, most people don't. They treat the idea that he's alive as like some sort of conspiracy theory. There's a, there's obvious. This is another world where it's kind of like Halloween Six, wherein there's a lot of conspiracy theories about Michael Myers floating around. I mean, there uh, would be. That's like a realistic thing. Yeah, would happen. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. Nine, that would have occurred because you had the internet in full swing, like <laughs> forums <laughs> online. Like, can you imagine like fucking Reddit in the days of Michael Myers? <laughs> Um, yeah, there'd be a Michael Myers subreddit and they'd be like, oh, I saw him this weekend or something. 4chan? Yeah. 4chan would be like the absolute bane of my existence. Um, 4chan well, would it already be full. Is. Um, People but... being like, oh, I'm going to beat Michael Myers' highest score this weekend, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's very traumatized. Uh, and, and I like this. This is my, like one of my favorite parts of this movie is that the trauma of the past incidents feels very real in this film. Um, you can see everybody is like clearly impacted by this and they don't just, they're, they're not just, you know, afraid that Michael Myers is going to come back. They're like completely different as people. Right. Because of what's happened. Um, and we got sort of glimpses of that in H2O, which was another reason that I really liked that movie. Uh, you could see that Lori in that movie was like still living with the trauma of Michael right. Myers, but that was uh, just Lori. Yes. Whereas in this yeah. one, you see it in an, across a number of characters. Yeah, it's affected like a whole town, right? And so you really see like the idea that a like a deep trauma like this can spread and affect people very widely. Right. Anyone loosely connected to the people involved. So yeah, also Lori, her like her room and her side of the bathroom and everything is like all punked up and stuff. I'm telling you, it is the, it's like Rob zombie was like, how can I just vomit my aesthetic <laughs> into two rooms in this house? And like, yeah. that's what he did with Lori's like bedroom and bathroom. <laughs> and also the record store we find out she later works at. Um, like, it's just like pure Rob zombie everywhere. It's amazing that that house looks the way that it does. Like, I don't know how you even get a bathroom to look the way Lori's side of the bathroom looks. Yeah. Um, it's, like, unthinkable to me. It's very, it, like, I, I love all the set design in this. Me too, it's yeah. it's really cool. Um, but, yeah, Lori has a picture of Charles Manson in her room. Yes. <laughs> which you would think is not the sort of person you'd want to be reminded of if you had an experience with someone like Michael Myers. But, mm. uh yeah, Lori yeah. is not your typical girl. Um, <laughs> Hashtag not like other girls. Not like other girls. Uh, yes, and her side of the bathroom just has like stuff like scrawled all over the walls. I don't know what with because it's on like 
the wallpaper and stuff. Yeah, it's like she drywall. Had, like, she it's just, like, directly off. <laughs> um, it, but she's got, like... It's like the bathroom is like divided down the middle. I guess Annie's using one side and Lori's using the other side. And Lori's side is just like all covered with these insane scrawlings. And the other side looks completely normal. Yeah, because the bathroom is like between their bedrooms. We see that at one point later. uh, (laughs) And on Lori's side, it says, keep your side clean, bitch. (laughs) Um, I don't think Annie is the one who has to worry about keeping her side clean. I think you are kind of the one who's... I think it's a, a I think it's a message to herself. I think oh, Laurie wrote it to herself. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. Um, it's also funny that the bathroom is allowed to get that way because, like, the version the the person Annie has become that we see, I cannot fathom her allowing that. I mean, maybe she's like good at like clearly delineating space, and she's like, "Well, that's your side, so you can do whatever you want." But it's yeah. like, really? Because like she is like a. I mean, I don't want to say like a neat freak or anything like that, but she is like definitely like type A at this point. And she like. (laughs) So Lori is living with Annie and her dad, who is Sheriff Brackett, um, because her parents got murdered in the last movie. Correct. So like they, I guess they took her in and uh, she's living with them. They're all like sort of trying to be like a family of sorts here, but there's. A little bit of tension there. Annie's clearly dealt with things a lot better than Lori has. Yes. <laughs> you know, Annie still like physically bears the scars of the attacks. Like you can see them on her face, but she mostly seems to have tried to go back to her normal life. She wants to forget about everything. She just wants to be a normal teenager again. Lori probably wants the same thing. But well, aren't she... they 19 or 20 now? They're like not. Aren't they still in high school? Wasn't she like 17 in the last movie? And this is two years later? I thought so, but I don't know. I guess they aren't still in high school because Lori is like working at that weird coffee shop and stuff. I don't know. Uh, But they they definitely still hang out with high school. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of weirdness here. I'm not sure about their exact ages, but Lori's trying to go back to normal but she is having a very hard time with it yes so she is instead leaned into this like sort of new persona she's going to therapy it does not seem to be going very well she spends most of the time just like screaming at her therapist who is margot Uh, kidder yes who is margot (laughs) kidder yeah great another just fantastic bit of casting in a small role in one of these movies uh great appearance by margot kidder here yes love her and uh, yeah, so Lori is just going through it here. She's really not having a good time. She's really, she's like having like possibly the worst time. <laughs> um, she's like, and it's like violently like whipping between moods too. Like she'll be like, oh, Annie, you're my best friend. I love you. And then like two seconds later, she's like screaming at Annie, um, who was taking it like a champ most of the time, but like, it's a lot. It's re- and it's like painful to watch at moments. It's like cringeworthy. Um, just like poor Lori. I get it, but man. <laughs> yeah. Lori also, I think at this point, has some sort of uh Sherry Moon zombie mannerisms. I don't oh, yes. know I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's very it's very hard, but if you're familiar with Sherry Moon Zombie, she has like sort of an idiosyncratic way of speaking. And like, nah, 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 nah. I don't know. But Lori, <laughs> Lori does that like several times in this movie. I'm like, oh, she's she's 
putting down some Sherry Moon. And it feels like I'm really impressed by Scott Taylor Compton here um, overall for this performance because she plays the part of the traumatized uh, victim very well. Uh, but also because she's clearly pulling like bits of Sherry Moon Zombie's performance into what she's doing, um, which is important because, as we know, uh, she is the daughter of Deborah Myers. Right. Now, of course, Lori does not know this yet, but yes, not yet. But that is going to play very much into what happens later in this movie. Uh, also, <laughs> the scene where she's in her therapist's office, there's like a painting on the wall that's supposed to be like sort of a Rorschach test type thing. And she's like, what do you see in the painting? Like, it's supposed to be ambiguous. It is very clearly a painting of a white horse. Oh, my God. I know. It's like very <laughs> obvious. It's like a white horse with just like the few things like painted around it. It's like, oh, what do you see? She's like, I see a white horse. Like, well, of course you see a white horse. It's a white horse. Ever. I also like that it's like, Lori, okay. It's been two years since the incident. And apparently she's been seeing this therapist for a while. And in this movie, she's like, what is that thing? And I'm like, okay, first of all, you haven't asked before. Second of all, you don't know what a Rorschach test is? I mean, you've been in therapy for like two years now. Like, <laughs> who doesn't know what a Rorschach test is? Just now picking up on it. She's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, we also get to see what, what Dr. Loomis has become, which is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. This is where Malcolm McDowell really shines in this movie. Uh, it's incredible. Dr. Loomis has become this incredibly self-obsessed, like, celebrity type. Uh, he is, like, a true crime writer now. He's written a few books about his experience with the Michael Myers case. And he is just the most pompous asshole you could possibly imagine. God, he's, he's like, it's like Dr. Phil or something. Like, he's like, like, this, like, he thinks of himself as, like, a celebrity. And he's, like, so cool. And he's... It's like really, he is the worst human of all time at this point. Not of all time. Michael Myers is out there, but (laughs) (laughs) Michael Myers is arguably a worse person. But Loomis is terrible. He's mean to his assistant. Like, (laughs) he's like, has these high demands for how things have to be when he's like giving a lecture on Michael. God, it's like terrible. He's clearly like seeking personal professional gain from this horrible tragedy that he may or may not have like allowed to happen, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. So we, we see him like giving this talk and he's showing up to it with his assistant and he's like barking all sorts of orders at her, um, telling her like, Oh, I need this specific brand of tea. And like, Oh, how could you use this photo on the, uh, the sign for my event? Like I needed this other photo. This photo looks terrible. And he's just like, He's so incredibly just like obnoxious and uh, self-obsessed here. He even and says, he's like, I don't want to use that photo. That's the old Loomis. The, this is the yes, new Loomis. Yes, exactly. Um, which I think is an important moment because it, it just the theme of this movie really is like how trauma has changed all these people, including Michael. And so like he's like specifically highlighting. He's like, that's who I was. This is who I am. It's like, well, who you are now is like kind of sucky. So... Yeah, <laughs> the older Loomis had his problems, but he was a lot more likable than this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get a lot of other great scenes with Loomis just being a huge jerk in this movie. 
there's this scene where he goes on this uh, sort of talk show that's hosted by Chris Hardwick and has Weird Al as the other guest. And they both are just like sort of cracking jokes at him the whole time. And afterwards, he's just like so furious. He's like, how could you put me on that show? How could you put me through this? (laughs) And uh, we also have the scene where he's giving a book signing. And like the father of one of the victims in the last movie comes up and is like yelling at him and then pulls a gun on him. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like a completely crazy moment. And also a reminder that it was 2009 because I'm pretty sure like like just like commonly carrying guns into book signings for famous celebrities would no longer be an option. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure people still were worried about guns in 2009. They were, but but it's like definitely a little bit different now. But yes, um, like (laughs) I'm pretty sure he would have been checked. And would not have been allowed to get a gun in. I would hope so. I mean, um, I, I would have hoped he would have been checked in 2009. But I would hope. But the, like this scene illustrates, as does the other scene where somebody like yells during one of his talks. Uh, that doesn't yell, but like asks him some very pointed questions that people sort of blame him for what happened with Michael Myers. But he also has a large following. Yes. Like, People are lining up to get his book signed. There's that guy who calls himself Chet, the bringer of death, who wants the book made out to him. Um, if you remember that. Um. <laughs> yes, that, that is that is a great part. He's going up to the site and he's like, oh, yes, make it out to Chet, the bringer of death. And he's like, and- I just find Michael Myers so fascinating, you know, because he's not just about the killing. He's like really about getting close. He's really experiences the feelings of his victims or something like that. It's like. Good lord, dude. Like, what yeah. are you what do you have in your basement? And it's like bad. And like you can see Loomis being like, mm, I don't like this, but he kind of sucks it up and does it anyway. But at the same time, it's like, Loomis, you created this culture, right? Like <laughs> after the guy goes away, he's like, There's always one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, if there's always one of these guys at your book signings, maybe there's an issue with what you're putting out. You're kind of creating this whole subculture here he is like he is fostering it by his like repeated like sensationalized versions of these stories right and so yeah you're gonna get chet the bringer of deaths out there that's what's gonna happen um, <laughs> that is gonna be my next screen name chet the bringer of death chet i'm sure somebody death. has it like oh, some God. hardcore fan now you can probably get away with like XX Chet the Bringer of Death. XX Chet Bringer. <laughs> yes, in classic, that would feel very two thousand nine as well. That would, yes. Um, so be uh, like Loomis is going around, uh, hawking this new book, and this is like the day before Halloween. I'd say at this point. Yes. Um, it's also worth noting that Loomis is very very opposed to the idea that Michael might still be alive. Yeah. Like when somebody even mentions it, he like loses his shit. Um, and it's like intercut when he does lose his shit. It's like at his speech, it's intercut with like a scene of Michael walking across an empty field, yeah. <laughs> which is really funny. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of scenes of Michael, like walking around in the wilderness here, which is a very interesting setting for Michael. You know, we usually see him in suburbia somewhere. Um, yeah. And we usually Except see that one him... time he was in that guy's cabin for a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After he floated up in the river. Oh, God. Here I go killing again. <laughs> he was. Yeah. So he's like walking around in the wilderness this whole time. Uh, I guess that's where he's been for two years. 
uh, and he's like got a full mountain man look at this point. Yeah. He's still got the mask, but it's got like a big hole in it, I guess, from where he got shot in the fucking head. Uh, Shocking. And you can actually wear the mask over the beard at any point. Uh, he puts it on once or twice, but you can still see like one of his eyes through it. So it's not like a very effective. Right. Yes. Oh, any, that's right. Anyway, yeah. I remember that. Uh, he, but he's got like a big beard. He's got still the hair like all over his stuff. He's very much like a mountain man type. And he's, and just he's like roaming the countryside. Yeah. And he's like sort of like a known entity in this countryside. Right. Like there's that part where like the rednecks and the, the girl are like driving around and they're like, if he comes shows up on our property again, man, I'm a fight him. I'm a fight him. And then he does. And of course, Michael wins that battle quite handily. Um, yeah. But I th- like, I, it's a very I, strange moment. <laughs> Is he like yeah. the local cryptid? <laughs> like <laughs> they, uh, I think like they've seen him before and they like, just think he's some random trespasser. But I, one thing I found interesting in that scene is that he's like completely passive towards those guys who are harassing him. And then he puts on the mask and then just goes like full insane psycho. I think that's intentional. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's definitely. Um, But again, masks, man, he made all those masks. He's wearing this mask. Like it changes him. He thinks he's a different person when he's in the mask. Um, Mm -hmm. But we find out that that's, well, I mean, we'll get to it, but maybe that's not the case, but he like really does a number on them. I, in my notes, I wrote, I was like, these people are assholes who kind of deserve this, but at the same time, maybe not, Uh, maybe (laughs) not quite as much as they got, but they're like really bad people. They just like beat him. Like they're just like, let's just beat this guy who we've seen wandering through our obviously very large amount of farmland. It's like, what's the worst he could do? Is he hurting you? Like, <laughs> um, I also wrote down that homeless Michael looks like Rob Zombie's stage persona at this point in time. He honestly does. Yeah, that's very, very true. <laughs> Um, this might also be the dog bit. Is this where the dog comes in? Yes, this is where the dog because the, the rednecks have like a dog with them. And I was like, is he going to kill the dog? And it sort of cuts away so you don't see whether he kills the dog. But then it cuts back and he's eating the dog. Yes. So he's he did. Very in much fact, eating that dog. He did. He's eating the crap out of that dog. Uh, he did very much kill that dog. He kills the dog. He eats it raw, I'm assuming. Um, oh, always raw. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, he Michael. eats dogs. He eats rats. You know, we, all of this is canon. <laughs> Michael would literally be patient zero for a coronavirus. <laughs> like, <laughs> God, <laughs> Michael ate the bat. That He's the one who did it. Um, but, like, he, like, is eating the dog, and it's intercut with this scene where, like, Annie, Laurie, and Sheriff Brackett are eating pizza at home. And Sheriff Brackett is like disgustingly eating this like sausage pizza. And I say disgustingly because it's not that the pizza's gross. It's the way it's presented. It's like, it's almost like Denethor and Return of the King. Like he's just like <laughs> grossly nomming on this thing. And we've had Lori say that you, you should not, you should not eat meat. Eating meat is bad. And he's just like, you know, he's like rubbing it in their faces by eating this meat. Meanwhile, we're seeing Michael eat this dog and it's like, a very heavy handed <laughs> message from Robin Sherry moon about um, meat eating because you know, as we all might know, they are like strong vegans. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a very vegan movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also weird and interesting because Lori ends up vomiting after all of this is happening. And it like, it doesn't really explicitly state it, but my assumption is it's supposed to raise the idea of like the, the mental connection between Lori and Michael, like, is she like 
knowing that he's like like because it's like cut with him eating this dog and like you see her face getting more and more grossed out it's like are you grossed right. out by the sausage pizza or like is there some connection to this like raw dog eating raw dogging sorry <laughs> she's aware that michael is raw dogging and she's <laughs> disgusted by it uh yeah and then she like runs up to the bathroom and is vomiting and like it's very much is like a mental connection moment yeah it's like take that, that idea from, from halloween's four five that we come up that came up earlier you know yeah and she has like a vision at that point because she like later says like earlier it was just in the dreams but now i had like a vision while i was fully awake of michael myers and oh yeah she's like having like a violent seizure or something at this point right thing, yeah things are like escalating for her uh and as we're getting closer to halloween that sort of makes sense you know we've, it's we've seen time, this before kid. <laughs> it's almost time kids <laughs> um, things <laughs> things get as we get closer to halloween things get crazier you know the the connections the the psychic energy gets much bigger and things like this happen um also lori so connected to the fact that loomis is going around being this huge asshole that that's how lori finds out that she is michael myers sister bum, bum, because because loomis put that in his book and she like buys the book like she sees it she's walking around she sees it in the window and she's like kind of disgusted but also just like has to know what's in there she buys the book and she's like in her car like screaming about it like re everything that she reads she's like really mad about it and then she gets to the part that i like has her picture in the book identified as angel myers michael myers little sister and she just like completely loses it she like really freaks the fuck out um <laughs> and i don't blame her but like she's like a strong like she's clearly like i'm just a fuck up and i'll always be a fuck up because i'm michael myers sister and like it's like so you clearly believe in nature over nurture um, yeah, <laughs> like, okay. yeah. I think she she fully lands on that side of the argument because you know up till now she's just been she's already been like about as low as low can be, and now like on top of all that she finds out she's Michael Myers' sister. So it's like, you know, as as hard as she might try, she's always going to be a part of this. So I no matter that, what, that's always going to be a part of her life. The big problem that I think she's probably having is that before she finds out, the, the visions she's having are often very violent, and it's her enacting some of this violence. And, yeah. like, I think that what, like, her fear is, like, she will become a Michael, um, when, especially once she finds that out and puts that with, like, those weird violent impulses she's having. Um, of course, she never explains to her therapist that she's having these weird violent impulses. We see it multiple times. She won't say it. Um Right. Just too bad because I think the therapist would probably tell her that's kind of normal when you've been traumatized. Yeah. Um, but there's clearly a part where she's like afraid to tell her therapist exactly the kind of vision she's having because I mean one of them is gonna be very, committed. I was gonna say one of them is quite heinous. I will admit that one of them is a bit much. But at the same time, she has a psychic link to Michael Myers. It's probably not all her. So um Yeah. You know. So she decides, like, at that point, when she freaks out, she's like, I'm going to go get drunk on Halloween. That's essentially what happens, right? Like, she tells her her friends, her new friends, they're not Annie, because she has expressed that being around Annie is a reminder about Michael. Um, just right. like every time she sees the scars on Annie's face, um, which is why we they have this weird relationship now um, where she's like, 
She loves her. And he's literally the only one who could probably really understand her right now. (laughs) um, But at the same time, looking at her is a constant reminder of what happened. And I totally, that feels, that rings extremely true. Totally. That relationship is like very, very honest. I think like it's It's a very, it's a very tragic part of this movie. Like they, they went through this experience together and yet they're like, somehow it's separated them rather than making them closer. Lori just cannot deal with being around Annie and, because it constantly traumatizes her. And so their friendship actually deteriorates a lot, even though they're actually living together now. Right. And are like, you know, best friends and whatever. Uh, it's really sad. It's really, really, really sad. And like Lori, uh, I mean, I think it was, it's also like inspired that they chose to keep Annie alive in the first movie when Rob wasn't even planning to come back for a second movie. So like he didn't know he was going to be able to go in this, this direction with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that they did because I really like what they did with this relationship and with Annie and Lori's characters. Um, so that's like really good. Cause if she had died, then it wouldn't have mattered. Um, yeah. And, and Annie surviving is very interesting because we don't really get to see many people survive michael myers attacks other than like the main characters it's and usually Ann- just loomis and laurie like, yeah oh, annie that's... is usually just a side character but here we get to see more of her relationship to laurie and how they both tra- uh, process this trauma right that's uh, really uh, interesting so yeah so laurie is running off with her new friends who are like both kind of weird rob goths like her <laughs> and <laughs> uh and they, she's just like, I'm going to get drunk. And she tells them, was like, uh, yes, I'm Michael Myers' sister. They're like, ha ha, yeah, that's funny. I'm, well, I'm going to be Columbia. It's like, no, no, like, I'm really Michael Myers' sister. And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <Fuck>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like, fine, like, whatever. They're all going to, they're, they're all dressing up as Rocky Horror characters. And this is, this is Halloween night, by the yes. way. Uh, and they're going to go to this big Halloween fest in town. Uh, which by the way like this thing is crazy this is my favorite scene in either of these two movies Uh, (laughs) yet another very Rob Zombie aesthetic oh this is the most Rob Zombie thing when I was watching (laughs) this I was like I would pay a hundred dollars to go to a party like this put on by Rob Zombie uh, and it seems it seems like it's probably comparable to those uh uh, those touring Halloween haunts that Rob Zombie had for a few years. Yes. <laughs> where they had like, uh, like rock concerts combined with haunted houses and stuff. Uh, that stuff is very much the same aesthetic as this. Meanwhile, we get Michael Myers, uh, attacking the proprietors of the, um, the rabbit in red, which is the strip club where Deborah Myers used to strip. Um, yes. <laughs> Which, so first of all, the strip club openly advertises the fact that Deborah Myers used to strip there. Which is a nightmare. <laughs> a so literal nightmare. Incredibly, like, I mean, it's a strip club, so you don't expect it to be tasteful. But even for a strip club, this is really distasteful. It's also a strip club in a small town. Like, it's not like, this isn't like a high-end strip club in New York City. This isn't, um, uh, what's that movie? Um, the movie with J-Lo. Oh, uh, 
Hustlers? Yeah, this is not Hustlers. <laughs> this, is <laughs> no. this is not Hustlers. Like, I can't seems... even believe Haddonfield has a strip club. Like, that's shocking. Well, every time they show this place, it's either empty or there's, like, less than five people there. So it's also maybe out in the middle of God knows where. Um, yeah. It's not very close to the town. Um, but, yeah. Oh, I also found it interesting that the rabbit in red is actually like canonical in the other Halloween movies as well. Cause um, it's the matchbook that Dr. Loomis finds in the first movie that was in his car that confirms that Michael Myers had escaped in the oh, car. Oh, that's really cool. Great yeah. Easter egg. I love yeah. that. <laughs> that's, that's a really deep cut, uh, yeah. but it shows you how much Rob Zombie knows about these movies. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Anyway, so yeah, he attacks the people in this strip club. Uh, predictably, it is worth he does not just attack them. No. <laughs> it is like <laughs> the worst thing. <laughs> There's some very brutal scenes in here. There's also kind of a gross sex scene going on where he like between killed... the, Frankenstein's monster and um... <laughs> the the guy, the owner of the strip club, who's dressed up as Frankenstein's monster, and like one of the strippers, and then he like kills them while they're having sex. Uh, and it's a very bloody affair that just he stomps somebody's head in. Yes, he the bully just like lays them out on the ground and just like stomps their head o- multiple times too. I mean, I think the first time did him in, but he stomps it more than once. <laughs> the guy in the parking lot, yeah, he just keeps going again and again. And you're hearing like his skull just crunching. I was, I was thinking and this about is this when you're you're really glad that you invested in a surround sound system. Oh, true. I was thinking as I watched it, I was like, why does every guy who meets Michael Myers try to be such a tough guy in this world? Like, yeah, like <laughs> this guy is like seven feet tall. Um, He's built like a, like a freaking side of beef. And because he is literally a wrestler. And like, <laughs> this little guy is just like, you better walk off, man. I already had to beat up one guy today. Would hate to have to make it two. He's like, like, oh, I put him in the ER. I'm like, don't joke around. Michael Myers doesn't put you in the ER. He puts you in the fucking grave. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he predictably gets stomped. And the other people at the strip club get killed. Um, I think... This is just like a little side stop for Michael, just a little treat, you know. He didn't really have any need to be here. He's just like, I'm just it's gonna because it's his mom's old strip yeah. club. He's just he's just mad at the strip club. He's mad at the uh, he's mad at the thing that like made his mom like have like such a crappy like life, you know? Like yeah. Um so it's unfortunate. Um although we see the strip club owner in the first movie is actually pretty nice to Deborah Myers and then they have there's one of the deleted scenes where they're just like chatting friendly. Um Yeah, I'm sure he is. He's just like sleeping with one of his employees, but you know. Yeah, you know, normal stuff. Um Yes. So, meanwhile, at the Halloween party, this thing is absolutely crazy. Uh first of all, Lori and her friends are dressed up as characters from Rocky Horror. Uh, yeah, her friends are dressed up as Dr. Frankenfurter and uh, Columbia, and Lori is dressed up as Magenta. So, okay, they're they're going around like everybody has really cool costumes at this party. Uh, there's lots of crazy rock music playing. There's like these huge sort of marionette things there or something oh yes i forgot about that which are things things like that show up in rob zombie's stage show (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> really something he really likes. Um, there's a guy hosting the like the the guy who's emceeing the whole party is dressed up as Vincent Price's character from the 1974 film Madhouse. Yes. So there's like there's some really deep cuts going on here. It's really good. Um, at one point, Lori's friend, who's dressed up as Doctor Frankenfurter, like uh, <laughs> runs off to have sex with this guy who's dressed as Wolfman. I think. Yeah. Uh, in his van. <laughs> Which it's is an unfortunate great. situation. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, what, what my favorite part of that was the the guy like having to confirm multiple times that she was in fact a woman. Because she was dressed up as a transvestite man. But I like that at one point he's like, oh, I don't really care much, do I? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're a girl, right? You have a vagina, right? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, what do I care? <laughs> like, okay. And then he goes off to like pee in the woods right before they have sex. And then he gets murdered by Michael. And then Michael comes in and kills the friend. Um... And Lori takes like some sort of drug at this party and starts like imagining Michael Myers is there. Yeah, like, she has really one of her like weird freaking out. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's like a nightmarish scene at this party. At that point, she's like losing it. Yes, and so everybody's fr- dressed up as horrifying things. And like nobody seems to really even notice she's losing it until her friend finds her. Um, <laughs> um she's just like having a full like meltdown on the dance floor and everybody's like well um it's like oh that must be her character but she they do decide to leave and meanwhile all of this is happening and sheriff bracket is like trying to work and he's mad because Lori found out about being michael's sister and he's like has a cop watching annie at home and annie doesn't want the cop watching her at home i think it's funny that he has the cop even though like they think Michael's dead. Sheriff clearly doesn't really think Michael's dead. Um, Cause he see, apparently he does that. He has done this both Halloween's since. Yeah. It's going to happen again. Cause Annie complains about like the previous Halloween that she had to hang out with this cop the whole time. Right. Um, so, and she's like, she's really like basically up there just like fuck the police. Like um, she's really not happy with this cop watching her. Uh, and it's very funny. And I really love Annie. So it's, you know, too bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, too bad because this scene here, uh, Michael shows up and murders Annie in the aforementioned bathroom. And uh, it's it's a bloody, bloody scene. It's like blood on all the walls type slashing. Yes. Now we don't see a lot of it as it's happening. We see her like running and screaming. Um, and we know that Michael's chasing her, but we don't see a lot of it until later. Um, yeah. It sort of like dis- like fades out. Um, we do see her poor cop watcher die. Uh- yeah. He gets killed <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. And then Michael chases her through the house and we see him catch up with her. And like, we know like she's dead for sure. Yeah. But we don't we like in a in a movie that otherwise shows some very gratuitous violence. We don't get to see much at this. She's point. actually not dead yet, though. We will find out because when oh, Lori finds true. her. Um, yes. Um, so Lori and her friend come back and they find her like still slightly alive in the bathroom. 
And it's very much like the previous movie where like they find Annie and she's like on death's door, but she's still hanging in there and she survived that one. So it's like, Oh, maybe, maybe she could still make it here. Um, but then I do, uh, I like, sorry, I just wrote before he, she finds the body. One of my favorite lines Lori delivers in this movie is when her friend is like, you should have a cookie. It'll soak up some of that beer. And she's like, I don't think a cookie's going to save me. And I'm like, oh, not so fast. Um, <laughs> a cookie might just save you. You never know. <laughs> um, it could. You know. Um, yes, but but Annie does die here. Uh, she dies but in, in like Lori's arms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Like right after she finds them, they like have a few parting words, and like Lori's like desperately trying to like get Annie to wake up, but it's not working. Uh, and then Michael shows up and kills Lori's friend, goes after Lori. Lori runs off, and Sheriff Brackett shows up here oh, with the other cops. And this scene is just so fucking heart wrenching. This is one of the best scenes I've seen in a Halloween movie. Because uh, Brad Dariff is just so good in this scene. Like you see him, he like he knows that he sees the cop has been killed. He knows that Michael Myers has been here. He like you can see in his eyes, he like knows the worst has happened, and he's been fearing this the whole time. And he runs up the stairs and finds Annie, and you just see his whole world collapse. God, like and just the absolute pain and agony in his eyes, and he just breaks down. It is so sad. Like. <laughs> <laughs> It's really sad, and he abs- he sells this performance so hard. Uh, it's it's absolutely crushing. It's the fucking pits, man. <laughs> um, it's like really depressing. Annie Annie went through it in the end. There, she also was maybe naked when she died. I have some questions about that. Um, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I don't really know why that was. Um, the weirdest <laughs> thing Michael has done is strip somebody naked when he kills them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> which has never happened before michael um so yeah it's just like really sad it's also sad that it's the actress who played jamie dying in this really sad way it's like this really weird just like again weird casting i mean good weird but like <laughs> good weirdness. Yes. um jamie dies again jamie di- but jamie like yeah weird weird <laughs> adult jamie finally dies um that's too bad yeah so once once Sheriff has found Annie's body, Lori is basically just running. Um, she runs through the woods. There's like a weird like clip of her running through like these backlit woods. It's like blue lighting. It kind of reminds me of the Texas Chainsaw remake. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's like running through the woods. Um, and she gets out to the road where she <laughs> stops a car going by who is like, okay, we're going to get you to the hospital. I'm like, you poor sucker. nobody's going in the hospital you're about to have your fucking world rocked like (laughs) um um, he of course is killed very promptly by a sudden appearance of michael myers who also manages to flip the fucking car he just like bends down and lifts from one side and just rolls it down a hill like and i'm like okay so we're on pure adrenaline rush now, Michael. Like, we're just doing it. Um, yeah. Have we seen Michael flip a car before? Like, I believe that he could do it, but I've never seen him just straight up do something like this. 
which no. is like a huge feat of strength. Uh, but yeah, that that is not great for Lori. She gets like knocked <laughs> no. out, but she's still alive after all of this. I mean, and Michael drags her off to like this sh- shed that's out in the middle of the woods, which I guess is where he was hanging out earlier when he got confronted by those uh, rednecks. That's my assumption. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like his, his base that he's established. Right. And so he gets, she, he takes her in there and like, basically is like, it's like a hostage situation and Sheriff Brackett figures out what's going like. Somebody's like, Oh, we found a flipped car and we think somebody's holding. We saw a girl who looks like Lori out there. There's a cabin. We think Michael's there. So Sheriff sends like a whole police force. Um, yeah. also, they, they surround it. Yeah. Also, Dr. Loomis sees this on the news and he's kind of like, I got to get down there. And it's like, well, are you going to help? Or do you just feel like you want to be a part of this? Because you're, it's, it'll be good for your next book. I don't know. Uh, but he he has to be there. So he heads off to the scene. Um, meanwhile, inside the cabin, Lori is now seeing uh, Deborah, the, the like ghost ethereal form of Deborah Myers and the horse. And the younger, ghostly Michael Myers child form all in the shed. Um, and we've seen them show up multiple times in the movie, mostly during like during any of the Michael Myers scenes. They're usually present, like yeah. <laughs> helping him along or talking to him. And now they're here and Lori's clearly seeing them, too. And she is being held down by the younger Michael. <laughs> And um, yeah, and, De- yeah. and, <laughs> and Deborah Myers is like, Michael, it's time to go home. Which it's I almost guess, time, kids. <laughs> it's almost time. Which I guess means like you got to kill Lori, and then like you'll kill the whole family. So then you can all go home. Because I like that's the thing. Like we've seen multiple times where young Michael is like, "Can we be a family again?" Um. And so, like, clearly, like, the implication is, like, yes, if you kill Lori and then you die yourself, we will all be a family again in whatever this weird ghost afterlife is. Um, so that's, I guess, what's happening. But it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so it's very strange. Yeah. So <laughs> Loomis shows up and, like, immediately gets punched by Sheriff Bracken. <laughs> Yeah, like he's so Brackett is so pissed at him and like knows all about what a showboating asshole he is. I mean, probably then things would have gone very differently if he had not published the book with the news about Lori's actual family. Yeah, like she would not have run off by herself. She would not be fighting with the Brackets. Like. I'm not saying anybody would still necessarily be alive because this version of Michael is like a changed man and he is more vicious than ever, but there was, there's a better chance if they weren't split up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he certainly did not help the situation. He no. added fuel to the fire. Um, so Brackett is like really pissed at him. And um, Loomis is like, I know like I, I, I haven't helped a lot, but I'm trying to help now. And, Sheriff, like, please, you must trust me. Which are like <laughs> yeah. the, the famous Loomis words that he once again utters here. And once again, you roll your eyes at because you're like, when has that ever worked for you, Loomis? <laughs> so, uh, like, the sheriff's not having it. So Loomis just sort of bum rushes 
into the cabin uh, and does not get shot by like the sheriff's last minute act of mercy be like, don't shoot him because uh, they were all ready to. <laughs> and he runs in there and like this is a really weird scene here because it's like pure chaos. It's yeah. like <laughs> it's like it's cutting between like the Lori Michael point of view where you can see the the Deborah Myers ghost and the younger Michael ghost uh, or ghost or vision or whatever they are. And um, and then like the Loomis point of view where they aren't there. They're not real. And you can see Lori while in her mind, she's being held down by this young Michael Myers. Like in reality, she's just sort of thrashing around in the ground. And Loomis is like trying to explain to her that she's not being held down by anything, that it's all in her mind, that like, uh, that you just have to like, you have to break three free from this. Like, th this isn't real. You know what and I also love about this? The implication that older Michael Myers is just standing there watching his sister just thrash around. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. just like in a corner, like, well, this is a little more fucked up than I expected. And. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best part of this. Like Michael's just kind of standing there, like watching all this go on, and he's not like. I mean, he actually anymore. probably sees he sees his family too, yes. right? He, so, he knows they're there, so yeah. he's just he's just a part of this. He he sees this as what's supposed to be happening, I guess. Um, and then uh, Michael dabs Loomis, and then. Uh, they the the whole the cops at Bracket and everyone shoot into the cabin and shoot Michael a bunch of times. He like comes kind of crashing through the window. I guess yeah. he get and he gets like impaled on this piece of farming equipment. Yes, which is good because he's killed a lot of people with farm equipment over the franchise. Um, I wrote Mikey <laughs> gets side. loaded with bullets. Um, <laughs> yeah, he gets shot so many times in this scene. Like, there's like I don't know, like twenty cops plus gathered around, and they're all just like firing multiple rounds into him. Uh, he, he's getting just absolutely annihilated here. He sure is. It's not pretty, but good. That's what needs to happen to Michael Myers, probably. Yeah, and then Lori comes walking out of the cabin. Oh god. I'm confused by this part because I watched the multiple endings, so I'm trying to describe the one that actually happens in the movie. I know, uh, um same. So <laughs> it's extremely confusing trying to read a summary because the endings are definitely like slightly different everywhere. You watched the unrated, right? On the, yes. the Blu-ray. Yeah, so me right. too. Um so what happens here, right? It's Michael removes his mask to kill Loomis, right? Like he literally takes off his mask and does it. That's like a yeah. key plot moment. I think it's key because we've talked about masks. We've talked about how Michael at one point put it on and then got violent. Um, we're talking about now he takes it off and still gets violent. I think that's important. Um, oh yeah, true. Um, I think it's like, this is this part, especially killing Loomis is who Michael is. Um, like uh they're just like fundamentally deep down um and so then lori <laughs> lori comes out right and she is not wearing the mask like some descriptions have said right she is like just lori <laughs> right i'm not crazy i i don't i don't know there, there are multiple endings here 
So uh, I think I the one that I remember seeing, I don't remember her wearing the mask. Exactly. I don't either. And she comes out and she just basically what happens is she walks over to Michael and she's looking at him. He's dead. She's looking at Loomis, too. He's dead. They're all outside at this point. Everybody's out in the open. The cops are just sort of looking on. And she picks up the knife. And it's unclear really what she's going to do with it. I think she's probably going to stab Michael some more. Um, but maybe it's going to be Loomis. You know, it's like yeah. one of those, like, is it the Hunger Games where, like, Katniss shoots the fucking, what's his name? Um, <laughs> it looked like, like she she might, yeah, she might stab either of them. Because uh, she's, like, obviously she's got a reason to hate Michael. But she clearly does not have any love for Loomis either. And um, And there's multiple interpretations to that as well. Because, you know, if she's finally going full Myers family, maybe she's more likely to want to kill Loomis. Right. Yes. But then she apparently like they're like the cops are screaming for her to stop. And then she apparently gets shot. And we just sort of like cut, like fade away from that. Yeah. And it's also kind of like a lot of shooting. It seems yeah. like she also gets loaded with bullets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> theory, it seems like she would have been shot so much that she couldn't survive. So, right. but in this next part, it's unclear. Like, could this be a fantasy? Could this be some sort of ethereal existence or is this in fact reality? But she's sitting by herself in this extremely white psychiatric ward. Just like everything on the white is white. The walls are white. Floors are white. All the furniture is white. Um, which is kind of like the whiteness that we've been seeing in other parts of this movie when uh, Deborah Meyer shows up with the white horse and all of that. And you see Lori just sitting by herself and she's smiling and she looks over and you see from her point of view, she's looking at uh, Deborah Myers with the white horse. That is in fact very correct. And that's where it ends. Um, yeah. and, and with her creepy smile as uh, what like love hurts plays. Um, yes, <laughs> they, um, they they had their own version of Love Hurts that plays in the credits here. Yes, uh, which is just tying it all together here uh, thematically. So my theory is that Laurie is definitely still alive. First of all, I do not think she died. I think it's just the Rob Zombie over the topness thinking mm -hmm. that she died. Um, there's a lot of over the top that happens in this movie. Um and I think she is just like, I think the, I think the implication is that she's sort of like inheriting the Michael, the, the Myers family curse now. Like she is evil at this point. Yeah. Um, you know? And I think that it's kind of a sad message. It's like, sometimes you out, try to outrun like the bullshit you're born into and just don't get away. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, sometimes it just doesn't matter how hard you try. Like you are going to fall back into this bullshit. But, but at the same it, time, like, Deborah was never a crazy mass murderer, right? No, so, like, uh, she <laughs> was trying to be a good mother. She was uh, a pretty good person. Even when her son was like, became a murderer, she was still visiting him and trying to be kind to him. And, uh, and I think this vision of Deborah where she's like encouraging the murder is clearly not meant to be supposed to like her, her as a person. Like it's like their weird idea of her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, like a mental projection. It's not right. the reality of her character. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think it is real. I think that like, obviously there's some ambiguity and there's a lot of ambiguity throughout the film as to what's real and what isn't, which is interesting. But ultimately I think it is real. 
and like you said like a passing on of this curse um and it sort of ties back to that idea that's uh that's uh, present throughout all these movies the fate you know like right. maybe it's her fate to become the next michael myers and as much as she tries to escape that she can't get away from it uh and this whole film has sort of been her you know fighting back against that while like the inevitability of this finally catches up with her right yeah it's an interesting i think i think that is obviously what it's playing at i think the movie has been so like this movie and the one before have been so vexed on the idea of fate and nature versus nurture um, that it's like hard to really like easily, you can't just unpack it. Like there's no like, yes, this is what the movie's saying. Um, Cause you know, the first movie went to great lengths to show that Deborah was a good mom. So like Michael had a positive force in his life and so did Lori for most of her life. Um, yeah. You know? And so like, it doesn't matter how good that force was for Michael. He still fully was just who he was. Um, but at the same time, he did have negative factors in his life too. Um, and then the fact that Laurie, I, I guess it like is sort of leaning fate, you know, nature over nurture. But I don't know. It's very complicated and weird. Um, <laughs> it's such a strange. It's a strange one because I think that like the original Halloween franchise for a lot of its run really came down very heavily and very explicitly on the side of nature. Um, they were just like, Michael just is this person. It doesn't matter. Like. And, that you know, he, he's like pure evil and he's the boogeyman and yada, 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 yada. But these mm. ones are sort of like they try to vex it by giving him a backstory. And I think just inherently by doing that, they're already raising the question. Like they're not they're not making it as clear cut just by virtue of giving him this like sort of like bad childhood. Um, right. It's like this, this might have happened for actual reasons rather than just an inherent uh, inevitability. Right. But it's like, would he have been different even without that? Because, like, he's fully insane, you know? Like, right. <laughs> and so, like, w- would anything have been different? And then, like, we see in Lori, like, she had a perfectly fine life. And it's hard to imagine the Lori we see at the beginning of Halloween 2007 growing up and becoming the next Michael Myers. It's, like, very hard to imagine that. But after the trauma she's subjected to, is it as hard to imagine then? Like, maybe it was in her nature, but it took some problems to actually, like, bring that out? Who knows? Um, like it's very strange um yeah i it's very interesting (laughs) yeah it's it's what makes these films so particularly interesting i think is that they really try to delve into the complicated nature of uh of trauma and nature versus nurture um and i think it does it really well It, it it makes for a very interesting complex movie yes it is very complex and I think they do do it very well. I will say to make sure there's some hope in the message. I think that maybe the fact that it even spends so much time on character development is an implication that there is no just like single fate that controls you. Like, you know, yeah. it, it everybody changes so heavily, like in this movie, it's like there is room for change always. Um, so maybe that's like some positive messaging, even when Laurie's arc seems to be just like really pessimistic and sad. <laughs> yeah, um, it sure does. I do also think that if they'd made a third one in this franchise, they probably would have been the first one to actually go the route of like, we are making somebody else, the new Michael. And we would have actually seen Laurie do it, um, which would have been really cool because the franchise has teased that before and didn't do it. Yeah. (laughs) So it'd be interesting. I don't, I don't know. So after this Rob zombie just completely refused to make another movie. 
Um, I don't know whether it's because he just didn't have any more ideas or he did not like working with the studio or something, or maybe he just didn't feel like another sequel was needed. Uh, but there was a sequel to this film planned. They were going to make Halloween 3D <laughs> yes. with or without Rob Zombie. Uh, that was the plan. And then uh, the Weinstein company who was uh, working on this decided to prioritize then I think the next Scream movie instead. Yeah, Scream 4. Scream 4. So uh, that movie was not made. And then uh, Halloween was uh, put on the shelves for the next nine years until Halloween 2018 came out. Yes. Which we've already talked about. So yes. that's it. We've covered all the Halloween films. And uh, we're, we are completely up to date until Halloween Kills comes out. Yes. Which, which I'm uh, sure we'll give you thoughts on. Oh, yeah. We're ready for it. If Halloween Kills is the first movie I see when the theaters open up again, I'm going to be, like, really stoked for it. Oh, my uh, God. I'd <laughs> forgotten about that. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's, like, supposed to happen this year. It is, yeah. God. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just, like, I, I just act, accidentally broke your brain live on the podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Um. Oh, remember how yeah. Saw got delayed? Oh. Oh, oh, that is the the trauma of which we dare not speak. Uh, I'm oh, still hurt from that one. Spiral from the Book of Saw. We would have seen it by now, right? Wasn't it supposed to come out in April? I thought it was May. Maybe it was May. Okay, so we would be we would be actively building up to it right now. Do you think that like these movies are going to end up being? Like, are they just going to do home release or are they really going to wait until everything's back open? I don't think so. Like, yeah, it was May 15th originally. It was May 15th. Okay. All right. So we'd be coming up into actually officially when the New York state home order ends. Um, That's very much going to change, but (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's going to get extended. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's unfortunate. I, but I do think that it's going to get a theatrical release. Uh, I think the studios are very clearly holding back specific films that they think are going to be bigger box office draws because they want to get that box office money. Uh, We've seen certain films like Trolls uh, World Tour be released to VOD to some success. Some. (laughs) It's like a lot of success. It's apparently very successful. Uh, It's been very interesting. But uh, I think they're still trying to hold back like the bigger blockbusters. Uh, and I do think that while how ha- the Halloween Halloween kills probably isn't like it's not like an Avengers level blockbuster. They're still expecting it to make enough money that they're not going to just VOD it. Um, Halloween 2018 was like the best selling horror movie of like all time or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're waiting on it. <laughs> it made, yeah. They made a lot of money. They don't want to turn down that opportunity to, especially like, cause it's not being released till October. So like, who knows? Maybe the theaters will be open by then. And I don't know. Not in like, the same way. I have trouble believing they're going to be open at full capacity. Like before uh, it's going to be like know. socially distanced movie theater going. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's gonna be rough. Maybe maybe it'll just be released to drive-in theaters. Who knows? I would That's drive to be... one. I don't know what car I drive, but I would do it. Um, you rent a car just to go to the drive-in. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, but yeah, <laughs> we did it. That's where we are now. We made our um, way through the the body count of Haddonfield. Yeah, man, all those those Haddonfield residents, a lot of bodies stacking up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know what we're gonna do next. We're still oh. kind of debating that. Uh, we might lay off horror for a little while. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. Always, always something we like to come back to. But there's, you know. There's not a lot of movies coming out right now. So all we have are the entire history of film to fall back on. So <laughs> I, I think I think we'll find something interesting to do. I think so too. I think it'll be fun. Whatever we come up with, it'll be a good time for all. Yeah. Uh so thanks for sticking with us through this Halloween series. Uh we hope you enjoyed it and we'll be ready to bring you more interesting explorations into film next week until then uh you can find us on all the major platforms we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts um find us on your favorite platform rate us and review us and uh you can also find us on social media we're at buzzed on movies on twitter you can email us at buzzed on movies at gmail.com if you have any ideas for what we should talk about next please let us know or just let us know yeah please or just let us know what you're watching during this quarantine because i know a lot of people are exploring new kinds of films and discovering new favorites so there's a lot of cool stuff to discuss about film right now and uh we could sure use it and until next time we'll see you one day at the movies we will see you one day at the movies you jellical fucks